video game celebration befitting Motorsport's ultimate cheat code. Welcome to Bike Live. Let's go! This is episode 84 of Bike Live on Motorsport 101 as we hail 93, winning title number 7. This is a Mark Marquez tribute edition uh, of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101 as uh, the man himself clinched his 7th world title, or as he put it, uh, he reached level 7 of the Mark Marquez Pro Race Challenge um, on Sunday afternoon at Mategi. <laughs> we will talk all about his victory uh, last weekend in Japan, which did seal his 5th MotoGP title and his 7th across all classes, um, and just discuss... Not only how he did it, but just what he can still go on to achieve in this incredible career, which seems to have uh, no limits to it. Uh, we'll also discuss the other issues to come out of that race weekend. As Andre Vizioso fell on his sword uh, on the penultimate lap. Cal Crutcher and Alex Rins secured uh, podium finishes in their impressive seasons. Um, and we'll discuss all the other issues from the lower classes. And there was uh, action and controversy to talk about there. Uh, with Fabio Quattararo winning and then having it yanked off him in the steward's office. Uh, and the championship in Moto3 being blown wide open as Jorge Martin made yet another costly error. Uh, we'll also talk about the big news this week as the British Superbike grid for 2019 has become a little bit clearer. And we'll look ahead to this weekend. It's the final weekend of the World Superbike Championship. But if you're asking us, it is the World Super Sport Championship decider. Ale Jules is the uh, party line here as Cluzel yes. takes on Cortesi yes. for the World yes. Super Sport Championship under the lights in Qatar on Saturday night. Um, joining me to look at to that and to talk all things MotoGP, Mategi once again, it's Andre Harrison. Dre, welcome. Welcome to Seventh Heaven, everybody. Um, yes, the, the, I've got a whole stack full of seven related puns ready to go. So uh, prepare for the next insufferable 45 minutes of podcast talking about MotoGP this weekend. But uh, yes, um, uh, that was the best intro you've ever had, Lewis, well played. Um, <laughs> um, he really is a cheat code, um, but we'll get to that very shortly. But uh, yeah, uh, wow. Uh, yet, yet more magnificence from Mr. Marquez. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll and, get into uh, we'll get into that very very shortly. First of all, though, here's uh, the various places you can get in touch with us uh, if you so wish. Starting on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport one hundred one. Uh, our Twitter is at motorsport underscore one hundred one. Um, so do follow us on there if you haven't already. Um, our YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash motorsport one hundred one, and our website is motorsport one hundred one dot com. Uh, if you like our content so much that you'd like to back us financially, Patreon is the place to go. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Uh, back us at the $5 level, you earn yourself early access to both this show and to Motorsport 101. Back us at the $10 level and you get the chance to listen in live on our Discord server, um, which several of you are doing right now. So thanks to AJ, to Cam and to Henry Chapman who are listening live uh, right now. Um, this week, uh, if you're listening in live, you may well have already listened to uh, the latest installment of Motorsport 101, episode 166. But even if you didn't, early access is available now. Um, by the time you're listening to this um, on its regular uh, installment, uh, the full podcast will be available wherever you download your podcast regularly. Indeed. Episode 166, Dre. And um, it's kind of fitting, really, in a week where hell froze over. It was the Iceman that cameth. Ice, Iceman forever. Like I, I've actually run out of Iceman related episode title names it's like it's like a running trilogy at this point it's brilliant but uh for the first time in 2044 days Kimi Raikkonen won a Grand Prix um and like what can you say he, he drove a magnificent race so much so that we thought Ferrari had blown it halfway through 
with another questionable strategy call, but uh, no, no, there was no doubt about it. Like, like Kimi Raikkonen drove magnificently, um, start to finish, got the great start he needed, and was able to hold off um, Lewis Hamilton, who was trying to win the title that that weekend and didn't, and Max Verstappen, who had somehow come through from 18th on the grid to finish in second, and well, Sebastian making yet another lap one mistake. Even I, as lead founder of the Church of Dre. He's struggling to uh, forgive such sin. Um, so all of that discussion as well. A massive new section catching up on Formula E, previewing the uh, Super Formula season finale as well. Some of the all the big Formula E moves, Soffel Van Dorn going over to HWA, Pascal Verline to Mahindra and whatnot as well. Um, Sergio Perez getting confirmed. Um, big talk about the future of Williams, given that uh, politics, <laughs> you know, like, questionable funds for Russian money, etc., etc. And Ed Jones going over to IndyCar, uh, back again with Ed Carpenter racing and the Scuderia Corsa combination. So, yeah, a lot of fun stuff and a pretty heaped edition of Motorsport 101. Episode 166 is out right now. Yeah, do listen to that right now. I have to say, even I, and I, I wouldn't claim to be the biggest Kimi Raikkonen fan, not so much for anything that he's done, more just because his fan base does my head in. Um, yeah, I mean, too. But, but even I was, even I was like, I raised a smile. I was like, yeah, this is a good news story for motorsport for Formula One to see Kimi Raikkonen. Because people love him, um, you know, exactly. Because it, it's making a lot of Formula One fans very happy uh, to see him win for the first time. As David Croft, David Croft put it for the first time in 113 years. Um, which I thought was, was very, very funny. Uh, shout out to Crofty on that one uh, for that slip <laughs> of the tongue. Um, right then, let's uh, let's move on to uh, motorsport issues on two wheels because, as Dre mentioned, the Formula One World Championship isn't decided yet, but the MotoGP Championship was um, last weekend uh, for the fifth time. Mark Marquez is MotoGP World Champion, fifth time in six years, um, and of course his seventh world title in all classes, hence his level seven celebration, um, which we'll come on to shortly. Um, but I mean, it, Dre, it's been inevitable for a few a few races now, pretty much ever since the summer break. I think we've kind of been of the opinion that. You know, Mark Marquez is going to win this championship. Once he started to pull clear of Valentino Rossi, I think, and it became clear that Yamaha just didn't have the tools to try and fight back with. Um, I think we mm-hmm. knew that Mark Marquez was only going to extend that lead um, rather than anyone chase him down. Um, but the way he clinched it, first of all, last weekend uh, in Japan, I mean, kind of fitting in a way, although Davizioso hasn't been as close to him as he was last year, that it ended up being decided in another Marquez-Davizioso head-to-head dogfight. Those two are just going to keep uh, just going to keep forging their own destiny. These two, like the story of, of Marquez versus Tioza over the last two years, has been incredibly captivating. And yeah, if the, you know, the boot fits the way the sport's been the last couple of years now, that, uh, that, that these two would come at it once again in, in a fight that ultimately would decide the championship. And yeah, it, it, it was Marquez v Dovi again. Tactically, it was on point again. Dovi led the early going. I mean, this, this was not an easy weekend for Marquez by any stretch. I mean, he, his pace in practice was meh. Obviously, changeable conditions didn't exactly help on Friday. Um, Saturday, you know, he has a crash in free practice four. Um, again, Rex is number one bike, has to get the number two bike out, didn't have the confidence for it. Qualifies only back at a second row in sixth place, which is very unlike Marquez. But yeah, I think uh, I'm right in saying that's uh, the lowest grid slot he's ever won a MotoGP race from. Yeah, and of course he goes and wins a race from sixth on the grid. Just, 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 just finally cement just how ridiculous this guy is. He's now winning races 
from the back of the second row. In Formula One, we'd be rolling out the red carpet right about now. Um, just, yeah, just sink the knife in a little bit further, as Cam just put in the Discord. <laughs> um, yeah, just, just, just outstanding yet again. And again, Marquez having this extra level of pace and confidence in the race now where he's able... We were about ten to go to start putting moves on Dovi, um, and it, it, we we had the you know, the really dramatic. It's like, oh, here we go again. It's like it's two and a bit laps to go. It was, it was Crutchlow was right there as well for a little bit as well in that, and yeah, it looked like it was going to be Marquez, Dovi, and maybe even Crutchlow in a fight for the win. Um, and well, Dovi fell on his sword with 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 two to go once Marquez took the lead, and that was the world championship and. Uh, yeah, uh, another fantastic display from Marquez. His eighth win of the season, which doesn't feel like he's won eight this year, but he's just driven so well um, yet again. And yeah, just had the measure of, well, everybody again. Mm. <laughs> yeah, let, let's pick up on that, actually. Um, the the fact that it doesn't really feel like he's won eight this year, because we're, we're going to uh, come back to Marquez in general uh, in a moment. But um <laughs> gives us a chance to bring in a question that, that, that Johnson's put in on the Discord chat earlier mm. on. Just when well, you mentioned that it doesn't feel like Marquez has won eight races. Um, mm. I mean, he has. And he's dominated. He's won the championship with three races to spare, and he's 100 points clear. Um, but as Johnson puts in the Discord chat, it's MotoGP this season and recent seasons definitive proof that one driver slash rider dominating doesn't automatically make a series boring. Does it pretty much put that argument to bed? Um, and I suppose it is, isn't it? Because, you know, the product that we're getting. I mean, yet again, last weekend, Mark Marquez won again, but we had another gripping battle between himself and Davizioso, which was going all the way to... It was going to go all the way down to that final... Uh, hairpin at the end of the back straight on the final lap if Davizioso hadn't gone down, because he was all over Marquez uh, in those closing laps. Um, not only have we got just gripping, entertaining, exciting races from week to week, but we've still got, even though they're not close necessarily in points, we've got a... A rivalry, I suppose, in MotoGP that, that has captured the imagination of MotoGP fans, hasn't it? And it's what makes it more amazing, I suppose, is that it's a rivalry that doesn't actually have the most popular rider in the sport involved in it. It's ridiculous in that sense, isn't it? When you really think about it. But yeah, I mean, going on, going off of Johnson's question, it's that's the great thing about it. You're right. One, Valentino Rossi is not involved in this, which is again crazy to say the least. Which shows that yeah. MotoGP is more than just Valentino Rossi. Yeah, um, and if anything, Thailand was walking proof of that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, I think I think Johnson's made a very good point. Like, the whole idea of you need a close title fight for a season to be captivating is a myth. Like, dominance doesn't necessarily have to be boring. And we forget that the on-track action this year has been spectacular. Uh, once again, we've had, you know, three, like, look at races like Assen, which was a complete clusterfuck of a Grand Prix. It was brilliant. Thailand, again, a brilliant race. And, like, the last two seasons, we've had a plethora of Marquez versus Dovi classic races. And we were probably on the way to another 10 out of 10 classic if it wasn't for Dovi falling on the penultimate lap. But it was still a tense, exciting, gripping Grand Prix that went back and forth with multiple riders in the leading group who could have won that race. You can't ask for much more, even if the outcome was, you know, somewhat predictable with Marquez winning, being the best rider on the planet that he is. I've said it before and I'll say it again. People don't care about dominance if the on if the on track product is good. And that's exactly what MotoGP is right now. The on track product is spectacular. There is there's no doubt about it. It is captivating, it is entertaining, and it is enough where fans are watching. They don't care 
if the product, you know, is you know, they don't care if, if if the same guy keeps winning, only because like how can you not be entertained by what you're watching? Like 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 what we're watching right now is you know the best rider on the planet, one of the best we have ever seen, a true freak talent in MotoGP, and uh, uh, Dovi, who again we mentioned before, is a brilliant story in his own right of. You know, perseverance, consistency, an opportunity coming together to create what is now one of the, probably the, the second best rider on the planet. And a guy that has, you know, I'd argue made the sport better because Marquez has needed a foil to, to go with him on a lot of these races. And Dovi has been really the only man consistently in the last two seasons to have done that. And the series is better for it that someone can handle Marquez on a final lap, and that's what's made him so interesting. And yeah, as I said, the, the whole idea about dominance being boring, kind of a myth in the wrong context here. And I think MotoGP has, has found a way to make its, its product more entertaining. And when that happens, does, is anybody really complaining that Marquez is, is, is nearly 100 points, 100 points clear in this championship? I don't think people are. I've not seen any real talk about that. Uh, I think the only discussions we're having now about is is Marquez like one of the greatest we've ever seen more than anything else, let alone, oh no, the series needs more more excitement, said no one. Yeah, because I think you can, you can draw an obvious comparison. I don't like making this comparison because I don't, I don't want to be one of those that, you know, you know, drops on this series from a great height, but you can draw the obvious comparison with World Superbikes at the moment um, mm. and, and Jonathan Ray, who is dominating... In terms of you just look at the pure championship numbers, he's dominating in a very similar way to Mark Marquez. They've won. Yeah. Um, I mean, Marquez has won, you know, five of the last six titles. Jonathan Ray has won the last four. Um, mm-hmm. And Jonathan Ray has won his championship with four races to spare. Marquez has won his with, with three to spare. And you look at the your pure numbers, and they're similar, but you look at the races that we're watching. Jonathan Ray's winning races by 10 seconds in, in World Superbikes, whereas some of the great races of the last three years. Argentina, well, Argentina this year was great for a different reason, but uh, Assen this year, uh, Phillip Island last year, Phillip Island 2015, Mizano 2015, four absolute all-time classic races there, and they were all won by Marc Marquez. Um, yeah. but, that, but that doesn't make them any less of a great Grand Prix just because the same man won them. Um, because the, the story and the, the journey that we had to get there was, was thrilling uh, and was brilliant. And... Um, Cam's made a great point that I was about to make in that it also helps when the rider that's dominating is just pure box office in himself and not just in terms of Absolutely. him as a person but just the way he rides um, you know, Cam says Mark is so ridiculous as well just watching him ride is gripping and that's what I was about to say Dre you can watch Mark Marquez ride on his own around an empty racetrack and be entertained um, by the way he rides Absolutely. a bike he is so thrilling to watch on track to the point that Dorna, as they brilliantly do whenever a rider wins the championship, they put together a little montage of the best moments of their season. And it was yes. pretty much a montage of Mark Marquez saves um, <laughs> the season. Uh, like his save at the last corner in Barcelona um, was, was the main one that they put in there. But there were several others that you could have put in there. Um, this rider has, as we've said before, he has almost created a whole new blueprint of how to ride a motorcycle at this level. I mean, he's forced the likes of Valentino Rossi, no less, at the age of 39 to re-ride or rethink the way he rides a motorcycle and change his own style um, on a bike. Mm. And as I say, he's... I mean, he's, he's, he's earned a bit of a bad rep in recent years for what's happened with Valentino Rossi. And 
Yeah. Uh, I think that's largely down to Valentino and his fan base that have created that narrative against him. But mm. Mark Marquez on his own is a rider that surely this sport, this sure this sport should be glad we have a guy like Mark Marquez at the forefront of it because I think of the World Superbike comparison and the criticism that Jonathan Ray's been getting unfairly so for not being charismatic and such like. Agreed. But but if you look at if you look at Mark Marquez and think of the, you know. Valentino Rossi is not going to be around forever. And MotoGP, I think, has, you know, it could not wish for a better rider to lead the sport in the post-Rossi era than Mark Marquez. No, I, I completely agree. I think I think Marquez is getting to the point where he could become, like Valentino, a transcendent star in, in uh, you know, like, the, like, the thing I noticed after Sunday morning, the um, like the amount of famous Spanish people that were congr- lining up to congratulate him. Yeah. Fernando Alonso, um, Borussia Dortmund player Mark Bartra, um, Atletico Madrid Sol Niguez is, is, was, was given was giving him praise, and you know, and Andreas Iniesta, Paul Gasol, like you know, three-time NBA champion and you know, future Hall of Famer. Um, Andreas Iniesta, the whole sporting world is getting behind this guy because he is such a freak. Um, there is there is no getting around it. Like it's Valentino Rossi effectively saved this sport in in the early 2000s because he was so different he was such a charismatic dominant rider that you know basically brought new eyes onto moto gp because of how he was because he Marquez came around at a time when people still saw world superbikes as the premier class of motorcycle yeah, completely it, it, it took in, in the process of, it, it was only really three or four years after rossi's rise to the top where MotoGP was seen as the premier series in bike racing after Edwards jumped over and Bayless was left on his own and, you know, Superbikes just declined as a series. MotoGP became box office television. Um, That two-stroke era was something else. And Marquez is rewriting everything we know about bike riding. There is no doubt about it. Like, Neil Hodson, after the race, summed it up better than I could. He has transformed this sport in, in the sense of, I have never seen a rider like Mark Marquez in the 20 years I've been watching bike racing. He is the most unique, captivating talent we've ever seen. He's always smiling. He's a marketer's wet dream. He does every PR asset you could ask him to. Again, in we mentioned it before in Thailand. He was fantastic. He, in Japan, he was riding his MotoGP bike up the mountain roads, and it was a fantastic commercial in his own right. He's, his fan base is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. He's becoming a bigger name in Spain. You have a lot of sporting successes. It is as a nation in, in the first place. And now Marquez is becoming that transcendent guy that we all have on the bike. He will save ridiculous saves that no, no one else on the planet can do. He can win almost any race on paper. Uh, like, we've never seen anything like him. Like, I, I, there's, there's no comparison. Like, he is the Ronnie O'Sullivan, the Steph Curry, the Usain Bolt, the modern-day millennial transcendent figure that I think a sport like MotoGP needs. He's going to be the poster boy of this sport for years to come. And Valentino, all those Rossi fans have got to go somewhere. And... Like, okay, I'm, I'm sure they're all going to still wear yellow until the end of time because Valentino is such a legend. And I'm not denying that for a second here. But this is the era of Mark Marquez. We are witnessing it live in front of our very eyes. The sky is the limit for what this man is capable of. And I, I honestly, like a, a, a good half decade or a decade ago, I never thought we'd see another one like Valentino Rossi. And we are. We're seeing it with our own 
very eyes and i'm in awe of, of, of what marquez can do i i'm incredibly captivated and like i we had a lot of world champions that just, just don't move the needle like that i mean casey stoner was obviously an incredible talent but he he was never a fan friendly guy really because well he, he hated everything everything else that came with being a bike rider jorge lorenzo you know, has had his fair share of scrapes, of his fair share of popularity battles, and you know, has had a bit of a diva attitude sometimes. Like Marquez I mean, isn't yeah, that guy. Yeah, so recently as Aragon. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, Lorenzo, completely of his own making, makes a massive mistake and then blames Marquez for it, even though Marquez is twelve yards away. It didn't make any sense. And actually, while um, we're at it, um, just a quick note on that because Jorge Lorenzo did. Um, he joined the ranks of those in Spain congratulating him. He did tweet uh, or put on Instagram immediately after the race. Sometimes we are not, sometimes we don't agree on the way to compete, but I recognize talent and excellence and there's no doubt about it. Congratulations, Mark Marquez. You've been the best again. Indeed. Um, okay. Future Which team Lewis ranks. Hamilton joins the comments with a fist emoji, which I think is brilliant. <laughs> Lewis is out here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, there's, there's, like, listen, like, like, Ugh, it's. I'm. I'm trying not to get too waxed up in this, but I think he's the greatest rider I've ever seen. Like, I, 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 I've never seen anything like it, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm likely to ever see anything like it this again. He is so unique. There is no one in the junior classes that I think is even on the pulse of being this close. Yeah. And it, like, we are now talking about Marquez in the context of not the best rider in all, but looking at one of the best of all time is he already and, is he already dre are we already talking about a top three all time of agostini rossi and marquez even at this early stage i think we are like like is it like i don't think there's anyone else you can say is better than him in, in the last 20 years besides valentino like <laughs> like agostini obviously he's a bit like Mafangio in the sense of we didn't really get to see agostini race unless you're over the age of 60 so it's like He's like almost like a mysterious grandfather sort of figure, like how Hamilton talked about Fangio the other day, talking about the possibility of title five. Um, and you know, I think Hamilton himself called him the called, called him the, you know, the godfather of mm. Formula One. And like, because for us modern day millennial fans, it's Schumacher. That that's our yardstick. And yeah. look, looking at the numbers. Give give Hamilton a couple more years. He's probably going to have career figures very similar to, to Michael Schumacher. He's only two behind on world titles, assuming he wraps up Mexico this weekend, which he probably will. Um, and he's already got 70-plus wins and 80-plus pole positions. Like, he's already got one massive all-time record for pole positions, and he's going to chase that down. Marquez... He's still only 25 years old. That's the most terrifying part and, and, of this. And the numbers that he has already. I mean, I, I was going to ask the question, are any of the records safe? I think we've already probably answered that in that it's no. But Giacomo Agostini holds the premier class record. Of course, Agostini has, I think, it's 12 world titles across all classes. Um, I mean, Agostini did ride at a slightly different time when we had the 350cc class, um, which, of course, doesn't exist now. But Agostini holds the record for premier class titles. Um, in most GP, he has eight of them. Uh, Valentino Rossi has seven, um, mm -hmm. and, and we're now talking about Mark Marquez. Sorry, Valentino Rossi has six. Mark Marquez has uh, five of them now, uh, and uh, Mark Marquez is at a stage where, as you say, he's twenty-five. He's still probably got another decade to go um, mm -hmm. at the highest level in most GP. Mark Marquez could retire with just about every record in the sport with his name at the very, very top of them. 
yeah, there is like there's there's no doubt about it. Like he has every potential. Yes, the potential to shatter every record in the book. Like I said, he's still got potentially a decade more if he wants it. Like it is, it's terrifying how far he can go. He's already got five premier top flight titles. He's already got sixty nine career victories. Nice, mm-hmm. um, and you know he's got. He's 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 staring down the barrel of the gun of Valentino now at this point because that that's that's really the next target for him. Can he get to Valentino Rossi's ten or you know all you know the, the Valentino Rossi's nine all time in all classes? Yeah, Rossi, um, Rossi has seven in the Premier Class, six of which were MotoGP, one of which was a five hundred cc title. Um, of yes. course, before the change to MotoGP, and of course he has a two fifty and a one two five title to go with that, um, and. In terms of Mark Marquez's, I mean, he'll probably have the numbers before long to, um, you know, to to claim that he's the say, the most successful rider of all time, if not the greatest. But but another point that Cam's brought up as well, um, Valentino Rossi has shot down the but he needs to switch teams to be truly great argument over the last two days. But is that still a legitimate argument to be leveled at? You know, it's not. It, it wouldn't necessarily make Marquez any less of a rider if he basically stays. If he's a one club man, to use a football expression. And stays mm. at Honda for his entire career and wins for them. But, but to be unquestionably considered, you know, the greatest of all time. In, in your purely in your personal opinion, Drake, does Mark Marquez need to win a MotoGP title for another manufacturer to have that sole argument as being the greatest? Because that's something that Valentino Rossi's done. He won the titles for Honda, moved to Yamaha, and instantly turned them into winners. Uh, again, in slightly different time in MotoGP. Um, we've seen Jorge Lorenzo hasn't won championships on different manufacturers, but he has won Grand Prix on different manufacturers. Um, but in your view, for Mark Marquez to be considered the undisputed greatest of all time, will he have to have won a MotoGP title on something other than a Honda? I don't think so. And I say that because it's weird because obviously motorsport in general is a sport predominantly based around engineering and and you know developmental brilliance it's a mechanical sport and the problem with that is is that we as fans and consumers of that product are always going to be more emotionally invested in the riders and what they're capable of more than the teams which is which is why i think this whole argument has come out in the last 10 20 years about the fact that you know Oh, he's got to win for more than one car. He's got to win for factory. It's 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 like it's this Sebastian Vettel argument because he's had that. Because I mean, I grew up a I grew up a Vettel fan, and, and as the rise, you know, Paris and one one became a thing on the internet. I was like the internet's Vettel fan when I was making YouTube videos full time, and it was hard at times because like Fernando Alonso was still probably the pound for pound king in the middle of Vettel's rise, and. All the talk was, well, Red Bull had shot to success, basically, because Red Bull was still like the party animals of the F1 grid until about 2009. Then they actually started winning races, like, oh, oh, hang on, wait a minute. Where's Red Bull come from? And the next thing you know, Vettel wins four straight titles. So, of course, Vettel hadn't really earned his chops to that point. Then he really had two or three big-time seasons before going over to Red Bull. Um Compared to Ferrari and Alonso, the guy had already won two titles. The guy that had often won in you know, inferior machinery, like when he was a back at Renault, even if his teammate put it in the wall that one time in Singapore, but we'd ignore that. But you get the point where it's like, 
Vettel had become so good so quick that we doubted how good he was, and we all put it down to the car. It was the, oh, well, Adrian knew he's designed the car, and I'm like, knew he had just as many misses as he had hits. And it's like, because we care more about the drivers, as a result, we want to see the driver vindicated by driving for more than one car. But if both cars are the best, then, well, what's the point? It doesn't really make any difference. And as Cam pointed out in the Discord, are we forgetting that the Honda was not that good when Marquez won some of these titles? Like, we said it ourselves like, like earlier on in the season, that I, and I still stand by this. I think the Ducati is still, for me, the best all-round bike in the field. It's the only bike where both of its, both of its teammates have won races consistently and contended for victories. Like, Dovi and Lorenzo is the best team in the field. Pedrosa has dropped off the wayside completely this year. And as as uh, Neil Morrison point, pointed out in a great piece of the um, on track off-road um, today, like, for all the talk we say about, you know, Honda, you know, Honda's made yeah, they've got the best bike, et cetera, et cetera, and where, you know, that argument is being made all the time. At, at the same time, the next Honda to Mark Marquez is 148 points behind in the championship. So I say, how good exactly is this bike really? Half of his points total. Yeah, like, like that's Cal Crutchlow. And I, I said it before, it's like, okay, you can say he may need to win on more than one match, you know, to basically get over that placebo effect in your head as a fan to say, well, he's only won on this Honda and the Honda's great. The Honda is not that great, okay? The Honda is not that great. Marquez has effectively carried them to be in the best team. Pedrosa has been... Uh, Pedrosa is one of the best riders we have ever seen. Probably a top 10 to 12 rider we've ever seen. He's been obliterated by Marquez the last five years they've been teammates. <laughs> and, and not to mention, Dovi is 100 points back on arguably a better machine. And, and, I, and I, I still stand by this. So for me... The way the dynamic is in the field, I don't think the Honda is this overpowered number one bike that's carrying Marquez. I think it's the other way around. I think Marquez is carrying a fundamentally not-so-strong Honda package to brilliant success. So mm. for me, no, I don't think he needs to win on a second manufacturer because I think a lot of seasoned bike fans will be able to tell you that the Ducati is probably the stronger bike here. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't say that, that, that the bike has carried the rider here. I, I, what I would like to... I, I don't necessarily think he has to win on another bike to prove he's the greatest or to prove how good he is, but I, I would almost like to see Mark Marquez have to go outside his comfort zone in, in, to a certain extent. Not to say that he's in a comfort zone at the moment, but... I'd like to see him go on. I'd like to. See, I'd just be curious to see what Mark Marquez would do on a Ducati oh, or on a Yamaha. Um, totally. And you know, we may see him on a KTM if they um, get their act together and um, and raise the funds, which we sh we're sure they can. Um, and that would <laughs> How be... much money would that take at this point to sign yeah. Marquez? What twenty million a year? Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think Red Bull could raise it. Um, so I think, I think they'd be all right. Oh um, yes, but but yeah, it would it would be fascinating to see what Mark Marquez would do, and next year is going to be fascinating because let's not forget he's going to be teammates with Jorge Lorenzo, um, who is himself a, <laughs> a five-time world champion across all classes and a three-time MotoGP champion. Um, you know, Repsol Honda next year are going to have the two greatest riders of the last ten years uh, in their team uh, next year. So that's going to be again another fascinating sort of box for for Marquez to tick. Like, can he go head to head with the the next best rider of his generation and beat him on equal machinery. I mean, I'm, I've got no doubt he will at the moment. 
Um, but it's still going to be fascinating to see. In terms of how he's sure. won his championship this season then, um, because it's not exactly been playing playing selling all the way through for Mark Marquez. He has had one or two, um, you know, low points in the season. The love we stopped them all coming in Argentina. And for me, Dre, this is almost as key a moment in his championship as any other. The, the absolute... Um, brain fade that I think Marquez had the the red mist the orange mist as we called it I think at the time um, mm-hmm. in, in Argentina where he I mean he was classified 18th but that doesn't even go close to tell you the story of a race where he uh, stalled on the grid then was going backwards down the uh, start for the stretch to try and bump start his bike again and get back into his grid <laughs> position he ridiculous. serves a right through penalty he then knocks off Alicia Spargo on his way through the field he then has the collision heard around the world where he knocks Valentino Rossi off towards the end of the race which again sent that rivalry into uh, into nuclear territory um and mark marquez i think learned uh, a, a few lessons that day i mean you know obviously the, the rivalry between himself and valentino rossi i think has never recovered from that and probably never will um no. but in terms of his approach to races i think mark marquez had just lost control that day um yeah and was just just riding wasn't riding with his head he was just riding sort of you know you know, without really thinking, he was just going all out and not really thinking about it. From that point on, Mark Marquez did seem to have a bit of a change of, of approach in races, didn't he? Because we saw Mark Marquez go from a rider who would be often keen, be keen to get involved in group battles and right, fight to the end of races. It almost seems as if from that point on, Mark Marquez changed and thought to myself, do you know what? If I've got the pace to gap the opposition and to basically attack earlier in a race, I'll do it. And when you look at races like Cota, like Jerez, and Le Mans. Those are races that Mark Marquez had won by half distance. Indeed. In, indeed. And it's... I, I, you're right. I think there definitely has been a change in mentality with Marquez after Argentina. Because like, we talk about, okay, absolutely was terrible. He lost his mind. Um, he, he cracked under the pressure. And, but let's not forget, arguably the most scary part of that race was is that he was terrifyingly fast. He was a second lap quicker than anyone else. It was a second lap faster than everybody. That was the vindication that I think Marcus needs. Like, okay, no, I really am this quick. Let me change this up a little bit. And again, tactically, he became an even better bike rider. He's now become a rider who knows a race he can win. If he can try and win it, he will try and he will go for it. And that's what he does really, really well. Um, doesn't win every race in those head-to-head fights to give guys like Lorenzo and Dovi and whatnot, but hey, he's starting to get the better of Dovi now on a more frequent basis as well, as terrifying as that sounds. Um, but on top of that, he's changed his mentality over a race weekend. He would normally crash once, maybe twice on Friday, maybe another one on Saturday as well, where, you know, he's finding the limits. He's not doing that now. He's not going out there looking for really quick lap times. On a Friday, he's now focusing on race pace, focusing on, you know, getting a, a comfortable bike. He can get over the course of the, of, of the weekend, the bike that he doesn't have to go over the limit in order to win with and tweaking the setup. And, you know, he saves he saves the hard charging for Saturday. I mean, okay, that's, that's the thing. We forget about this with Marquez, right? He's not had that many pole positions this year. He's had one, two, three, four, five, which for Marquez's standards is actually quite low um, for him, which I think is the lowest ratio he's had in the top flight since he got there. He was often known for having, you know, ridiculous, like like basically game-breaking speed. He's actually channeled some of that into his race pace now. And look at the consistency. 
You take out Argentina and you take out the one time he's crashed in a race this season, and that was Mugello, where he picked the really he picked the wrong tire and he never really recovered from that. Every other race this season, he's finished on the podium, and there's only one third. And that was Bruno. Every other race so far this season, at 16, we've, we've, we've had 16 rounds. There's been 15 races. 12 times this year, he's finished first or second. That's unbeatable. You don't beat that. It's as simple as that. And don't get me wrong, a lot of that has feel tripping up over each other on numerous occasions, which we'll get to with Dovi in a bit, because that's kind of the story of his season, unfortunately. But... He's a even better bike rider now than he was a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. It's like Marquez keeps adapting. Keep, keep, he keeps finding ways of being better and better and better. Last year, he won the championship by about 20 odd points because of Dovi and you know, that, that end of season collapse that Dovi had where obviously Philip Island struggled. Um, and then Valencia, he, he crashed going over the limit. And... This year, he's a, he's over 100 points clear. I mean, what, what, what can you say? Like, he, he keeps finding ways to beat these people. He, he's getting better and better and better. And like I said, like, how do you beat him? I, I, like, I, I'm not sure there's a way you can do it. And like I said, he's doing this with a package right now where I'm not entirely convinced he's on the best bike in the field, which is terrifying he just keeps finding new ways of getting better as a bike rider and it's magnificent he's basically perfect he's the perfect weapon he can get he can qualify on pole but he can still win a race from row two i mean how do you beat that yeah has anyone he, got he, any he's, he's got a level of consistency that no other rider at the moment seems to have and what 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 proves that is that of the eight races that mark marquez has i've just been working this out while you were talking there and the eight races mark marquez has won this year he's had seven different riders finish second to him in those eight races, which, wow. which is which is incre- incredible. In, in America, he won with Vinales second. In Spain, it was Zarco second. Le Mans, it was Petrucci in second. Acid, it was Rins in second. Germany, it was Rossi. Uh, then uh, Aragon, it was Davizioso, um, as it was in Thailand. And then last weekend, it was Crutchlow in second. Um, it, every time Marc Marquez seems to win, there's a different rider who's his nearest competitor um, in a Grand Prix, which has enabled him to just pull out this advantage. Um, over the course of the season. And, and to pick up on a point you made there as well, I think what's also been key to his season this year, um, again, not necessarily the races he's won, because I think we've, we've known that Mark Marquez in those tight battles like we saw at Aston, he always seems to have that extra level of pace where he can just gap the field. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he, He's not afraid to get involved in a dogfight, which without, without wanting to criticise him, Jorge Lorenzo, I think, is less, uh, less keen on getting involved in. Uh, right. Mark Marquez seems to thrive in that environment, but also he can just gap them when he feels like it. But also the races he hasn't won. I look at races like Austria. Um, I look at races like Bruno. Um, Barcelona was another example of those where Mark Marquez, is, he's got a level of maturity now, which I think he probably discovered in 2016, where yeah. he you know, he knows he's got the pace to win just about any given race when he feels like it, but he, he's, he's smart enough and mature enough to recognise that when he doesn't have that pace to win, he picks his battles now, doesn't he? And, and he knows yeah. when to take a 20-point second-place finish. Let's not forget. I'll give you a, a good example of that. Masano. Masano this season, where Ducati had the best package on paper once again, and Marquez probably knew early on when Dovi busted out that lap record that, okay, 
I'm not I'm not going to go after him because I know I've not got the to handle him. Let me try and beat Lorenzo. And what happens? Lorenzo, who would, who was again in a hot run of form going into that weekend, um, yeah, did he, he, he won he won in Austria beforehand. He was second at Brno. You know, he had those two wins at, at Mugello and Catan. He's like, oh, so everyone's like, oh look, Lorenzo's this is great. He beats Lorenzo and forces Lorenzo into making a critical mistake, knowing he was going to lose five points to Dovi. He was further behind him in the title race at that point while Lorenzo overcooks it and bins it. So you look at the situation and you just go, well, yeah, like at the moment, like Marquez is, has got a level of intelligence, a level of consistency, and just a level of tactics, which again, at 25 is terrifying no matter how smart this guy is as well. He's such a complete motorcycle racer at this point now that like, I, again, I don't know how you beat him over eighteen races or nineteen races now because because, because there used to be a, there used to be a time when Mark Marquez would win or crash trying. Um, yes, and, and, and twenty fifteen is the is the perfect example of that. And, and he's he's moved on from that that mindset now. He's prepared to, you know, he knows what it takes now to put a whole season, a whole body of work together over eighteen or nineteen races and and win a championship. And 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 yeah, as I say, he he's got that level of consistency now where. He he is now unbeatable in the, in this sort of environment. When you look at his his championship reigns and his, his seasons, I mean, in MotoGP since 2013, he's finished on 334 points in his first season. Then he moved up to 362 when he won his title in 2014 by winning 13 races in the first 10 of them. Then he finished third in 2015 with 242. The last two seasons, he finished on 298 points in both years, which is a funny sort of quirk of history. And already he's up to 296 this season, so he's going to go past the 300-point barrier again. That's what that's essentially what we're talking about now, Dre. If you want to beat Mark Marquez over a season, you've got to get 300 points minimum. Yeah, and I'd argue it's probably a bit more than that. I mean, Marquez could finish this championship. If he cleans house, he, he, he has 371, which I think would be the second highest point count in the history of GP. It would be Marquez's um, highest ever. Yeah, and that was, again, that was a year that Marquez had a 13-win season in it. Um, he's only got eight this year, which is a terrifyingly low count by comparison. It's dreadful. Um, but <laughs> the way you look at it, like, you need 320 points, I reckon, to really to, to, to put that kind of season together, to really make Marquez think about it. I think that's what you're probably going to need now. Um Good luck with that, I would say, given that Marquez is now guaranteed to win five races a year because he's done that every year in the top flight, regardless of championship position. He's won five GPs every single season. There's still three or four tracks that Marquez is virtually unstoppable around now, like the Saxon Ring, you know, like the Circuit of the Americas. We're going to one in Phillip Island right now where he's right on. He is right up there with, with, with the very best in that regards as well. Um, like there's there's no obvious way to beat him, and again, like you need consistency on on the highest level, which is going to be even harder to find now that Dorna has gone out of their way to make the series more competitive, and yet Marquez is still head and shoulders above the rest. How does that happen? Yeah, <laughs> like it's, it's... rises uh, in, in in this mm. sport, um, and we have to talk as well about Mark Marquez, uh, the man, the the personality, the which leads us to his celebration uh, after he won mm. his championship. Uh, well, two-part celebration, really. First of all, the part of it where he dislocates his shoulder. Um, <laughs> or, 
<laughs> or, or should, I, should I say Scott Redding dislocates his shoulder? I think that's. I think he's the uh, he's uh, suspect number one, isn't he? Uh, in his yes. Where he leans across and probably shouts "Congratulations, my babby" or something in his ear, um, and and dislocates his shoulder while doing so. Um, and because there, there was that moment where we sort of looked, and I've watched the race on both BT Sport and since on the uh, on the Wealthy commentary with Matt Burns, Steve Day, and, and Steve um, Steve Day looks at it and says. What's going on here? Like, like, what's he doing? I think we all thought it was some sort of choreographed celebration that was going on, but no, they were popping, trying to pop his shoulder back in. Uh, <laughs> um, which is amazing. That is a sentence that would never be uttered again, exactly. ever. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's funny though because uh, as it's turned out, Danny Valle, who famously won the final Superspot 300 race of the season when Carrasco won the championship, he did the same thing. Apparently, he was celebrating his first win in the Superspot 300 class at Main and He dislocated his own shoulder. Um, and had to have that pop in. Is this a rider thing? <laughs> it must be because there was a picture this week on Instagram of Valle in a in a hospital bed having his shoulder operated on. So he's clearly needed to have it um, sorted out. But yeah, Mark Marquez. So he dislocates his shoulder, has it popped back in, and then he uh, he then veers off into uh, this sort of little layby near the circuit where he has his own arcade game set up um, <laughs> called the Mark Marquez Pro Race Challenge. He's given a coin to go and place into the arcade machine. Um, he goes up six steps um, with level one to level six written on them. Uh, he then plays this uh, this arcade game and uh, it says you win um, level seven achieved uh, and uh, then it tells him to uh, collect his uh, commemorative champions uh, pixelated helmet that he had prepared for the, the seventh world title. A, a brilliantly choreographed celebration with the fans there, the the confetti, the the general celebration, the music in the background, obviously which Donna obviously been involved with to uh, to put this together for Mark. A, a general point, Dre on on. The, the sort of the reception Mark Marquez gets around the world, he is so fucking likable, and it still eats away at me that more people don't. It's, it's, it's I'm glad you said it rather than me that got half a dozen of his t-shirts at home. Um, but uh, no, I, I completely agree. Like it is a crime that this man is not like. Okay, if Valentino had done that sort of celebration for world title number ten, it would be viral on Lad Bible by now. Like. Mm. Seriously, like I don't, I do not understand it. Like it's, it's, it, it's amazing that he is not more well liked. And again, I, again, I don't think. Obviously, we can, we can talk about Sepang until the cows home of 2015, and I, I still stand by it to this day that I think Rossi and his fan base was the main facilitator in in how that was perceived and how I, I think that is a, a burnt bridge with a, of a lot of Valentino fans who. I think we'll believe until the day they die that 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 you know Marquez was in the wrong for that, which I don't think he was. Um, but I completely agree. It is a travesty that he is not more well liked. That was a friggin' wonderful celebration. It was a brilliant, like by by, by far the best of Marquez's career to date, and he's already had some good ones. Um, like like the Samurai celebration for his second world title was a favorite of mine until then. Um, and I still owe to Pedrosa as well on some of his nicknames in the past as well as his teammate. But uh, like it is, it is. It was a disgustingly good celebration. Like the whole arcade up, the 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 Mark Marquez fan club side by side, the gold helmet with the pixelated sponsors and the video game references. That was that was fucking awesome. That was that was that was brilliant. I would drop an obscene amount of money to get a half scale model of that gold helmet. <laughs> uh, I, I, mortgage money I would drop on. Um but um it, it, it was a magnificent 
situation. And props to Dorna for for facilitating that and, and making that and being part of the reason we, we ended up having that in the end. It was a wonderful celebration. He is disgustingly likable, this kid. And, and I, I I don't know how they're not building statues of this dude. Like, yeah. around places. I mean, you, you, you got was cool as all hell as well and the brilliant ant statue as well um and 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 whatnot he he's doing a brilliant job not only on the track but off it to be a real ridiculously likable role model and representation of the sport on that level i think he's doing a tremendous job where that's concerned as an ambassador for the sport he he is he is the face of of the sport that for me younger fans fans who perhaps aren't as familiar with valentino rossi's era of MotoGP, can all get behind Mm. i mean hell this was a guy who flossed over the line at jerez this year uh when he he won the grand prix there he dabbed Um, dabbed at cota as dabbed at cota as went over the line um and yeah he's he is so likable and uh, hell he was in park fairly after winning the race and what, what was the first thing he said he said to be honest i said i wish um you know davizioso deserved to be here with us um for what, oh, he's, wow. for what he's done this season um which, which was a great great touch when he was speaking to simon crayfire part for because obviously he'd, he'd recognized that davizioso crashed behind him um and wasn't in the in part for with him in second place um and and that's just again a great touch and again a a, a just a, a a reminder of how much underlying and just pure outlying respect there is between Mark Marquez and Andrea Vizioso in MotoGP right now as the clear first and second best riders in the field. And and we have to have a word on Vizioso, Dre, um, who yes. would have finished second had he not fallen off. He basically crashed trying to beat Marquez to win the race to keep the championship alive. Um, exactly. And again, we can't really criticise him too much for that. Um, he, he's not been as close to Mark Marquez over the course of a season as he was last year because he took him all the way to Valencia last year. But he has once again been the clear number two rider in the field, um, proving as if we needed it, proving that he wasn't just a one-trick pony in 2017. That is genuinely the new level that Andrea Vizioso is operating at. And yeah, he, he's proven pretty much all season, but in particular, he's proven since the summer break that 2018, if he can eradicate the mistakes that really putting behind the eight ball in the spring of this year. There's every reason why he can push Mark Marquez all the way to the limit next year too. Why not? That's that's the sort of rider Dovi is. He's consistent, he's fast, and and he maximizes the the GP seventeen and eighteen he's had to its full potential. And you know, shout out to to, to Fran on Twitter, who's who works as social editor at GP for po- making the very good point. If Dovi's crashed in a race, you know he was going at one hundred and ten percent. You knew he was over the limit. Um, if if he's if he's crashing, because it was a very bizarre crash. He just lost the front of the hairpin altogether, and just down he went. And yeah, like I said that was an uncharacteristic crash from Dovi. It's, it's kind of been the sad story of his season that he's just made one too many silly mistakes. Um, that this was his fourth major crash of the year. Yeah, if anything, you know, he's yeah. had he's had a, a greater level of pace than he had last year. Um, but yeah. it's just the mistakes have been have been even greater. Exactly, the mistakes he's made is what's ultimately done him in here. Like, like the like the, the crash at Haref wasn't really his fault, but he was the catalyst for it when he when he he he, he came into he came into uh, he came into dry sack too hot, and after that, that was the catalyst for the disaster that happened afterwards. Um, you know, Lamont rush of blood to the head. Nothing better than that, you know. After passing for second place and going off into the lead, he, 
bins it one corner later. That was, again, just adrenaline. I think that did, that did him in there. A city one at Catalonia, um, where, again, was running third, trying to keep up with Marquez. He's overdone it, and he goes down. And that was a massive 25 point, or 20 points lost to Marquez in that fight. And, again, he, I think he probably just tried a little bit too hard. I don't know, go and blame him for doing that, because he has to. This is the level that Dovi has to ride at now to beat Marquez consistently. And he can't do it now. Like, it's, it's a shame, because... You know, Dovi has just left the door open for mistakes one too many times this year. And again, I think that's ultimately um, what's done him in this championship. And that's why he's now 102 points behind Marquez in the championship. It's just crazy to say. It, it, the scoreboard doesn't tell the full story yeah, in this I one. Think, I don't think the gap between them has been quite that big. Um, no. I, year, I, I, but, uh, it, but yeah, it's Davizio unfair, says... It's be it's be it's much like I suppose like the gap between Hamilton and Vettel in Formula One. The gap has grown because the guy in second has had to try and he's had to push beyond the limits, try and close the gap, and in the end, it's had the the reverse effect. It's just increased the gap when he's when he's made mistakes. Exactly, um, and that's what's happened to Vizioso. But um, another 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 great season for Vizioso. He's probably although there is a chance that Rossi can hold him in now with what's happened last weekend. It's likely that Vizioso is going to finish runner up to Mark Marquez for the second year in a row, and in the end. Uh, that's what the record books will show that once again for two years running Mark Marquez was the best but without question Dovizioso was the next best um, mm-hmm. and and who knows I mean we've still got three races of this season to go but can we get to 2019 already with, with Dovizioso Please. back at starting back from zero with Dovizioso on a Ducati that's surely going to be at least as good if not better than the Honda you've got Mark Marquez looking to win another title you've got Lorenzo on a half, another factory Honda um, potentially we hope an improved Yamaha next year too um, it could be another tremendous season um, in 2019, and you know it's got every ingredient once again for another classic MotoGP season. Uh, but this season has been Mark Marquez's, and he is the champion with three races to spare. Uh, a few other riders, though, we have to mention, though, Dre, before we move on to, to Moto2. Um, starting with the other two riders on the podium, Cal Crutchlow in second, um, who has a real shot now, Cal Crutchlow, uh, of finishing as high as fourth in the World Championship. Um, which would be a, a tremendous achievement for him. He's only seven points behind Maverick Vinales in fourth overall um, mm. in his second place last weekend. Of course, he's heading to a Grand Prix this weekend um, that he has won in the past in Phillip Island. So, Cal Crutchlow back on form after having a, a bit of a lull mid-season where he didn't quite back up that win in Argentina with some results uh, on the back of that. Um, but we have to talk about Alex Rins as well, who was on the podium again mm. on that Suzuki. Um, his third podium in this season, Suzuki's sixth rostrum. Um, of the season um, and low-key Alex Rins is having a tremendous end to the season his last four races have gone fourth fourth sixth and now third yeah Rins is really putting together he, like, he's, he's stamping out like one of the issues I had about him coming in and that was I was I was concerned that he was inconsistent because he was he was having he was having all these great races excellent pace but then crashing it and that's what worried me about Rins. And it looks like he's he's starting to piece it all together now at this point where it's like, you know, he's he stopped crashing in races and he's, and he's he's able to better utilize his potential. He's had a string of really solid results now. And, you know, this you know, this this recent, uh, you know, podium, again, which is the, his third podium of the season, the sixth for Suzuki as a manufacturer this year, which is really solid work from them across the board this year. You know, they, they might legitimately be the third or fourth best bike in the field again now, which is, you know, something that we were hoping they were going to be aiming for, and Suzuki, their concessions are getting better. So, 
there's a lot to like here about, about this team. So, yeah, another really strong performance from Alex Arins, and hopefully he keeps up for the rest of the year because he's going to be spearheading that team next season. And, hey, if he keeps this up, then look out for next year. He could yeah. be one of those guys that's in the, in the top five of the championship overall. Yeah, we just need to help the Suzuki don't mess up next year and that they uh, they don't own a position where they're going to need those concessions back again um, for mm. 2020 uh, when they have Rins and Mia next year. Um, so I, I think you're probably right that they had the third best bike in the field uh, next uh, last weekend. It was uh, a Honda winning. A Ducati would have finished in second, but it was in the end it was another Honda with Suzuki in third. So the Yamaha was probably the fourth best bike in the field and they finished fourth with Valentino Rossi. Um, yeah. He now hasn't been on the podium since he finished second to Marquez at the Saxon Ring back in July, um, mm-hmm. which is remarkable. He's been three months now without a rostrum. Um, but, again, he's now within nine points straight of Andrade Vizioso to potentially finish the season as championship runner-up with perhaps Yamaha's likeliest round of a victory coming up this weekend uh, at Phillip Island. It's without question, it's probably one of these circuits along with Aston that is a rider's track where the rider can overcome the deficiencies yes. of his bike. Um, so look out for Rossi and probably Vinales as well this weekend. Um, but Valentino Rossi, I mean, he, he's probably the only other guy, isn't he, that can that can lay legitimate claim to being, you know, if Marquez and Davizioso aren't the number one and number two guys in the field this year, Valentino Rossi is probably the only guy this year who can make a legitimate claim to being as good as them. Probably the way this season is playing out. I mean, Lorenzo probably there too, but again, like injury and inconsistency probably hasn't helped. Um, more than anything else, which is a, it's a shame um, because I think Lorenzo would be right up here um, with Dovi. I think he's very close to Dovi's level now. He's mastered that that Ducati, but uh, yeah, um, you know, it's, it's almost a shame that era is ending now. And him on this, he's got to learn to ride another new motorcycle again. So that'll be interesting for 2019, of course. But yeah, I think Rossi's the only guy in the ballpark that of of even Marquez and 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 Dovi at this point. I mean, let's not forget. I mean, the fact he is nine points off of Dovi's point total in a season where that Yamaha has ranged anywhere from uncompetitive to dumpster fire um, is impressive. There's no doubt about it. And Rossi is, he was bloody 40 next year. Um, He's still riding as well as he has overall still consistent. You know, he's not crashing. He's not making very many mistakes. He's not leaving the door open very often. You can't ask for much more than that out of your leading factory rider. And you, you, you could see on track that he is maximizing the best of what he's got around him. It's not like last year when Johan Zarco was a constant fly in the ointment. Um, he's 52 points ahead of Johan Zarco this year in the championship. Zarco has struggled by comparison, playing catch up. And of course, we're not saying Yamaha has a struggle. They absolutely have. But the guy that has spearheaded that team, spearheaded the development and and gotten the best out of a bad deal more than anyone else in the field this year has been Valentino Rossi. And you should be absolutely commended for that. Mm. And, and I think the, the, the better comparison as well is the comparison with, with Maverick Vinales that we've been making for a lot of this season. Valentino Rossi is now 30 points clear of Maverick Vinales in the championship and he finished seven seconds ahead of him. Uh, last weekend nice. in Japan and started behind him on the grid. It has to be said as well. Um, you know, th- there is that <laughs> you'd expect as time goes on that you know the balance is going to shift towards Maverick within that team. That you know, as he gets more experienced and gets better and improves within that team, he's going to become a stronger rider. And you expect him with every year that goes by that Valentino Rossi is going to decline a bit. But he just doesn't seem to. 
Um, he just seems to continue to operate at that 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 level where he's, he doesn't have that blistering outright pace of a Marquez or a Lorenzo anymore, but he's got that that canny racecraft to make the difference up. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, fourth again is about the maximum that Yamaha could have achieved last weekend. Obviously, fifth was going to be the maximum until Davizioso crashed ahead of them. Um, but but yeah, Rossi continuing to basically carry that Yamaha team on his back at the moment, and we we hope as well for next year when of course they'll be running as Monster Yamaha. Um, that they have a stronger package to join that battle. And, you know, again, that's, you know, what more could we ask for next season? Well, I guess what more we could ask for in this brilliant championship battle we're having between Marcus and Vizioso is for Rossi and Yamaha to be in there as well with a competitive package and make it a three-way fight. Um, but that's for next year. For, for Mategi, Rossi was fourth and right on his tail across the line, just half a second behind him, was Alvaro Bautista on the Angel Nieto Ducati, the 2017 Ducati, which, of course, won this race last year. Um, in the wet with Davizioso. Um, a result that, I mean, I think he'd probably have got this anyway, but it's a result that's confirmed him to be a factory rider for this weekend because Jorge Lorenzo went home on the uh, the Saturday of Mategi, having withdrawn the day before because of the broken wrist he sustained at Thailand. He won't be racing in Australia this weekend. And, I mean, fifth position for Bautista matches his best result of the season. He has had a tremendous season again, hasn't he, Dre? And, Given that he's on his way out of MotoGP into World Supermarks next season, this is a nice little reward for Bautista for all of his years of hard work that he's going to get a weekend this weekend at Phillip Island in the factory red of Ducati. Have you seen how happy he is on social media to be dressed up in red for this occasion? God bless him. Get you someone that looks at you in the way of our self in red. It's, it's, it's delightful. Bautista is a, is, is, has been a great, great servant to MotoGP, a great servant to Ducati, to Honda over the years. He's a, I think he's a great bike rider, and he has been for over a decade now. And he's never really had you know, the big break that you know a lot of other riders in, in, in MotoGP has had over the last decade or so. Um, he's, he's, he's a great rider, and you know as it's a nice little inadvertent thank you, I think, Alvaro, for all the hard work and the service he's provided to to the factory and to the team that he gets this one-off appearance and on, on, a, on a factory Ducati with the 19 on it, and he deserves it. He's a great rider. He's having a great season. He's again, like he's he's only 12 points behind Danny Pedrosa uh, in the championship right now. Um, given that he is on a one-year-old Ducati. He's doing a really, really good job. You can't ask for much more than that. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm delighted for him because he deserves it. It's a nice little goodbye send-off, I think, before he ends up going to World Superbikes next year with the Aruba Ducati team over there. So, yeah, it's it's awesome. I'm delighted for, for about and I hope he's up there at the rate of the weekend because I think he's more than capable on that Ducati. If the Ducati is good, um, compared to last year, where they wasn't in that title fight. Oh, if the Ducati is competitive around there and they fix the problems they had from last year, he'll be on the podium. I, 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 I think he could be on the podium. I think he's super strong. Yeah, we've, that's we've seen with so. Ducati at Phillip Island. Think back to Yanoni in 2015. If they can get that bike dialed in, that is a weapon around Phillip Island because that on that home straight um, down towards uh, Turn One in Phillip Island, where they go over that crest, that Ducati is that's just going to just leave bikes trailing on that straight. Um, you know, throughout the Grand Prix on Sunday. So let's hope that Ducati can get that back dialed in and give Bautista a chance. And, you know, when you look at where he is, compare him to the other riders on 2017 Ducatis, like Jack Miller, he's ahead of Miller in the championship, went ahead of him um, with that fifth place last weekend. Um, he was ahead of Rabat before he took his injury and forced absence as, as well. So uh, Bautista, given the machinery he's on, he is, you know, you can't really ask much more of him this season. But a word on Jack Miller as well before we go uh, into Moto2. 
How the hell did he qualify on the front row of the grid uh, last weekend? Uh... Qualified third. Um, and then, unfortunately, he crashed out of the Grand Prix at the end of the race, presumably with a nosebleed. Um, so, unfortunately, uh, no points for Jack Miller uh, last weekend. But a great weekend and a great performance from him in qualifying. The result then, Marquez the winner for the eighth time this year from Cal Crutchlow in second and Rins in third. Valentino Rossi in fourth. Uh, for Yamaha, that's uh, about the fifth time now this season he's finished in fourth place. Uh, Alvaro Bautista in fifth, it matches his best of the year. Jean Zarco in sixth, um, so he's now had something of a return to form, having not been in the top five um, since uh, Jerez. He's now been in the top five in back-to-back -back races. Uh, Maverick Vinales only seventh, though, and 13 seconds off the winner. Not good enough, you've got to say, for him. Danny Pedrosa eighth, Daniel Petrucci ninth, and Hafish Sayerun came from really nowhere to finish tenth. Um, top rookie ahead of Franco Morbidelli in 11th. Bradley Smith and Paulus Spargo, who came within a whisker of making Q2. Uh, they finished 12th and 13th on the KTMs. Katsuki Nakasuga, the stalwart of the Suzuki 8 Tower um, for Yamaha. He scored two points in 14th ahead of his compatriot Takaki Nakagami, who took the final point. Uh, for LCR Honda, championship standings then with three races to go. Mark Marquez is the champion on 296. Uh, 102 points clear of Andrea Vizioso in second. Valentino Rossi is nine points behind Dobby in second, uh, second and third. Vinales is fourth on 155, so he's 30 behind his teammate now and likely to finish behind him at the end of the season. Cal Crutchlow is fifth, just seven behind Maverick. Zarco and Petrucci are tied for sixth and seventh on 133 points each. Jorge Lorenzo has dropped three spots with his absence last weekend. He is now down to eighth um, and hasn't scored a point since Austria. Um, the way his season has gone um, with a variety of crashes and, of course, injury and forced absences from the last two races. Uh, Alex Rins is up to ninth uh, on 113 points. Uh, on 118 points, sorry. He's gone ahead of Vinone, who's on 113, who completes the top 10. Uh, Honda leads the Constructors' Championship by 47 points. And if a Honda rider wins this weekend at Phillip Island, uh, and that can be any Honda rider, and, of course, between them, Marquez and Crutchlow have won the last three Australian Grand Prix. Uh, if one of them wins this weekend, Honda are the Constructors' Champions for 2018. Repsol Honda can also win the Teams' Championship this weekend. They are 51 points clear of, believe it or not, movie star Yamaha in second place. Don't ask me how. Mm -hmm. um, but Repsol Honda, as long as they score as many points as movie star Yamaha this weekend, they will win the Teams' Championship as well this weekend. Right, Moto2, um, and one of those scenarios that we kind of dread in motorsport, really. A, a race victory being decided in the steward's office, um, which is what we got in Moto2, which is which is a real shame, um, and a real shame for Fabio Quattararo, who was disqualified from the race for having illegally low tyre pressures. Um, before we talk about that, Drake, because there's very little we can really add to that beyond the, the bare fact that he was disqualified for having illegal tyre pressures, but... The race we actually got, it wasn't a, a thriller minute race, which Moto2 races very rarely are, it has to be said. Um, but you could see the level that the riders up front were, were operating at. It was a tremendous sort of time trial battle. Um, and for Fabio Quartararo on track, although he doesn't get to keep the win, it does say a lot about how good this kid is and probably why Yamaha 
have the faith they have in him that he went head to head with Francesco Bagnaia, the undisputed class of Moto2 this season, and beat him in a straight fight on track. Yeah, like, like normally when Bagnaia gets away, he's actually unstoppable in Moto2. But it was a time trial race, so the, the riders spaced out for the most part, and then they basically, yeah, they had to basically find a way um, to, to come back, basically. So it's it's crazy. It is crazy that, you know, it was a time trial race, and, you know, they have to find their own space. And Cotterano just had ridiculous raw speed. Like, there's no doubt about it. But, uh, yeah, my gosh. Um it's a real shame. I mean, again, you, you can question how much of an advantage it really gave him, but um, oh boy, it was that was something else to say the least. Mm, it was, and, uh, and a real shame for Quattararo, who um, you know hasn't necessarily been at that same level uh, as he was earlier the season. But then it's pretty hard to be when you're only you're still in your teens for a start. Quattararo, we sometimes forget because of how long he's been around, how young he still is. Um, as a rider, he's still a teenager. He's riding on a speed up, which I think still, even back to from the days when Sam Lowe's was on that bike, and even going further back to when Andre Idoni was on that bike, it was it's still a bike that seems to, on its day, it can win races in Moto Two, but it seems to only have uh, those sort of you know infrequent days. It's not a bike that can be competitive on every circuit on every day, like the Calyx and the KTM seem to be. It's much less consistent. Um, but on the right day in the right conditions. They clearly have the pace, and Quattararo approved it um, last weekend. First rider, well, technically, he's the first rider to be disqualified from a Moto2 race since that famous Fanati disqualification of Bizarro. He's the first rider ah. to be disqualified for technical infringements since the last rider to lose a win, and that was Dominic Egater at Bizarro last year, um, who famously lost the win to Thomas Luti um, last year. Um, so it has happened before in Moto2, and it's one of those, Dre, where, similar to Agatha's, I suppose, last year, and similar to the famous one of uh, Takaki Nakagami in Qatar, it's one of those where it's a black and white rule break, so it's a disqualification, and I don't think anyone at Speed Up or Fabio Quattararo, whilst they're aggrieved about it, they can't really argue that it's the wrong decision. But equally, it's one of those where this didn't exactly make Quattararo go any quicker, did it? I don't think it did. I, I mean, I, like you completely decimated everybody. It wasn't. It was a close competitive race that Fabio just had a little bit more in and I think that was down to Fabio I mean we forget this is Moto2 like this is Moto2 and this is a series where spec series it is so, it's, it's so close it is so so finely judged um you know where it, it's 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 hundreds of a second every lap between the very best in that category and I, I it's probably the reason why teams like speed up take the liberties they do because they will always try to obviously run a tire pressure tire pressure as close to the limit as they can i mean why wouldn't they um it's a risky yeah, I think, game i think it's the case with any team in any form of motorsport isn't it you that's the whole point you've got you your job is to run as close to the parameters of the rules as possible you've got to be as quick as you can within the very limits of the regulations Exactly, that's the whole point. That's the, that's that's why the rules are there, and that is why you are deliberately going out of your way to uh, you know get as close to that line as you can without stepping over it and getting to the top of the, of the ladder. And as Quattararo said on Twitter, his tire pressure was not point not two psi too low. I mean, come on! <laughs> what are we really talking about? Rules here? are rules. Breathe into the tire, Fabio. It's over the limit now. 
I mean, Jesus, it, it's, it's such a fine margin. And again, we, you're talking tens, ten thousandths of a second advantage we're looking at there. But as you, as as you mentioned, it's a hard and fast rule. You, you can't let that slide. It's a slippery slope if you do, and you've got to draw the line somewhere. And sadly, you've got to draw the line on that one. Um, he was out of. Yeah, he was. His team took a liberty too many, and they've been punished for it. And it's a shame that Fabio is the one that really suffers here more than the team, because the team knew they were taking taking the liberty. Um, but Fabio is the one that's been punished for it. So. Um, yeah, it's a real shame um, for for Fabio on that one because he, he rode an, an, an outstanding race and yeah, from, for for a, a tire that was point zero two of a pound out 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 of commission, they they've got nothing to show for it. So uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it is a real shame for Quattararo, but uh, but yeah, he'll no doubt come again. Of course, he's got a, a MotoGP future um, to look forward to next year. Um, in the end, the, the race win was handed um, to Francesco Bagnaia. Not like he needs any races handed to him because he wins enough of them these days. Um, it, it's his eighth win of the season, Dre. And it, it does have a, a knock-on effect for the championship because with Bagnaia in second to Oliveira's fourth, as it was, uh, and that was Bagnaia gaining seven points um, in the championship. With Bagnaia winning and Oliveira third, even though they both gained a place, it's now a nine-point gain uh, for Bagnaia in the championship, which... At uh, this stage of the season, with you know, so few races to go, that makes a difference um, to the point where Bagnaia can win the championship this weekend. If he wins in Australia on Sunday with uh, Miguel Oliveira out of the top four, uh, then Bagnaia is the champion. Um, alternatively, there are ways with Bagnaia finishing first, uh, second or third where he can win the championship with Oliveira uh, failing to score very many points, but that's unlikely. Point being, though, it, the championship has very much swung. It feels conclusively towards Francesco Bagnai in the last couple of races with his, his victory and leading a sky via 46-1-2 in Thailand. Um, the second that he had in Aragon where Oliveira had qualified way out of the top 15 and had to come back to finish whatever it was, seventh or something there uh, mm. in that race. It feels as if this has taken a conclusive swing towards Bagnai and it feels like, as opposed to last year where KTM became stronger as the year went on and finished with the dominant package, it almost feels as if KTM are kind of fading as the season reaches its end. Yeah, that that's how it feels. It feels the opposite. Yeah, and I, I, I was watching that race, Miguel. And you could see just by his his body language and his style, he was at the absolute limit. He was he he could not get any more out of that KTM if he had tried, um, and if he did, he probably would have crashed it. But and obviously, if he did that, it really would be title over at that point in time. But like I said, there, there was there was there was nothing more Oliveira had in in himself or in the bike. That that was that was the limit, and it looks like KTM has just lost the development rate. Calex as, as the season's gone on, it looks like Calex is, is still just the you know the, the chassis provider of choice in GP, and KTM is still somewhat playing catch up a little bit on this one. It's just a shame because you know. Uh, the series has been more interesting with KTM as a second strategy provider that's really taken the fight to Calex since Suter's decline. Um, 
and, that, and that's a shame. It is a shame because I, I, would, I would love to have seen Oliveira, you know, really take this fight to Banyaya over the course season. But as the rounds have gone on, it just looks like the KTO just isn't there. And Banyaya is just leading from the front and has done pretty much all championship long. And it just looks like Oliveira's run out of puff on that KTM um, in the race. So, yeah, it's, it's a real shame. But, um, you know, you can't argue with it. Kalex uh, is the class of the field again. The Sky VR 46 team has been fantastic all year long. And Banyaya is, you know, looking like he's putting together an all-time great Moto2 season. So, mm. Eight yeah, wins uh, for the season. He could he could get into double figures before the end of the year. Uh, could Peko. And, and for a team as well, that's only in its second ever season in the Moto2 class as well, Sky VR 46. Um, what a season they're putting together. Um, and we're talking about three riders and four, if you add John Mir to it, who are going to be great additions to MotoGP next season. Uh, Banyaya at Premac, uh, Oliveira at Tech3 KTM, um, Quattararo at the uh, Petronas Yamaha team and Mir at the Suzuki Factory team. Um, four brilliant rookies um, into MotoGP next season, which is going to be fantastic to watch. And behind them, they leave a, a pretty wide open Moto2 class next year. And we've said this in a few shows recently about Moto2 next season, how wide open it looks. There are, we were talking about this off air before we started. We could probably make a case for possibly as many as 10 riders next season that could compete for the World Championship in the new Triumph-powered Moto2 class of 2019. And second place last weekend, Lorenzo Baldassari. He's got to be somewhere close to the top of that list. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, like, like we mentioned it all again off the air that we had, you know, nine, ten, maybe twelve potential title contenders from Moto Two in twenty nineteen. It's going to be the, the most stacked, I think, the class has ever been. But I think I would probably put Baldassari at the top of the very, at the top of the list. Um, you know, like yeah, him and Brad had, Binder would probably be my two at the moment. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. I, I'd I'd say so. Um, on paper, I think Baldassari's. Yeah, you know, he's had a very good Moto2 season. He's, you know, had wins. He's had strong results, you know, along along a lot of the season. And, yeah, like him, Binder, you know, maybe Alex Marquez, maybe next year will finally be the year he puts it all together. Who, um, But, yeah, like I said, I, th- I think Binder and Baldessari are the two guys. In, I mean, Baldessari would be a lot closer to the front too if it wasn't for some of the shit dumb luck he's had and some of I mean I still remember the Aston Puncher, which you never see in Moto two. Um so, which, you know, he, that was I think he was leading the race when that happened. So that cost him a good twenty plus points. So you know, it's 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 elements like that that's really wrecked Renzo's season in that sense. But again, like there's not very many dudes in the field that are faster than him, especially once you take the top two out who have been the class of Moto two this year as we kind of expected. But mm. um, once you take those two out, you put guys like Luti back in with Marquez, Vierge, Schrotter, you know, Marini, Marini you know, Sam Lowe's back at, you know, back at Grassini again, Luti coming back down. I mean, you've even, you know, you've even seen guys like, like Augusto Fernandez, who's been a bit of a revelation in the second half of this season. I mean, he was sick mm. this weekend. Who's to say that he, with a recent next season, isn't going to be a real competitor next season. We've got probably the best group of Moto2 rookies we've, possibly ever had next year where we're going to have Martin Bezzecchi, Bastianini, uh, Di Gian Antonio and Ertl all moving into Moto2 next year as well. Um, which is which is insane. All five of those have been, you know, Grand Prix winners in Moto3 this year and one of them is going to move up as the Moto3 champion um, as well. 
Um, it's going to be a brilliant, brilliant classic season. So you factor them in. You've also got the likes of, as we've said, Binder, uh, Baldassari, Alex Marquez, Schrotter, uh, Luca Marini, Vieje, Sam Lowe's, Thomas Luti. It's almost impossible to pick a champion at the moment out of that lot uh, in Moto2 next season, and we cannot wait to watch it uh, in the new Moto2 with Triumph Power. Um, but it looks like Banyai is going to be the final Honda-powered Moto2 champion. He won last weekend from Baldassari and Oliveira on the podium. Uh, even though Oliveira didn't stand on it, of course. He was given it afterwards. Alex Marquez finishes fourth ahead of Brad Binder and Augusto Fernandez, um, who, as I mentioned, is having a brilliant half, second half of the season because he stepped in um, at that Ponce team when uh, Hector Barbara got the flick. Um, and that's now his best result uh, with the team. Uh, Xavi Fierke in seventh. Ike Laquona, who qualified on the front row of the grid for the first time, finished in eighth. Uh, Luca Marini, ninth. And Marcel Schrotter, tenth, just ahead of the MotoGP band, Joan Mia. Tatsuta Nagashima, the home favourite, scored points in twelfth. Domiega to thirteenth. Mattia Pasini, fourteenth. And the disqualification of Quartararo promoted Remy Gardner and Tech 3 into the points in 15th. Championship standings then. Banyaya leads it by 37 points. If he can increase that to 50 by the end of this weekend, he will be the champion. Uh, Brad Binder is in third, although his lead over Baldessari has been cut to 16 points now in third and fourth. Alex Marquez is fifth. Joan Mir sixth. He has sealed, well he sealed it a while back, but he is now uh, mathematically the rookie of the year in Moto2. Uh, Marcel Schrotter uh, is seventh overall ahead of Tepesini. Fabio Quartararo uh, who was going to go as high as fifth in the championship with his win. As he is, he stays ninth. Uh, and Luca Marini completes the top 10 on 111 points. Uh, Moto3 then, before we go. And this was, for me, without question, the race of the day. Um, last weekend at Bategi. It was arguably, for me, one of the races of the season. Um, in any mm. class, it was a nail-biter. Um, and, and a thrilling race that has played its part in this incredible Moto3 World Championship drill that we've been seeing this season. Jorge Martin went into the race with a 26-point championship lead, but I think we all in our hearts of hearts thought, well, this championship's still going to go all the way down to the wire. You can't really call it in favour of Jorge Martin because it's been that kind of season where things have happened. Oh, how right we were. I'm sitting back here very smart. The statement I made a couple of Moto3 title and unforced errors will be the decider of this title and i said hey you know martin's 26 points clear but i would not say a damn thing about this channel i think there's still at least one more twist coming hello everybody uh, hi dre here spot on spot on once again yeah this was a carnage filled race it really was and and, and martin uh, oh dear um it, he he really is the classic case of a guy that is you know, I don't want to say Martin's a win it or bin it rider because I think he's better than that but it's another critical error and, and five non-scores now this year yeah not all of them are his fault obviously but yeah. he's a couple of times he's made silly mistakes that have brought the slightly more consistent Bezeki back yeah, into slightly, it yeah <laughs> So, I, and I use slightly as a euphemism here because um, he's had his fair share of screw-ups too. Um, so it really isn't that simple on this one because we all know that Bez has had a couple of really you know, bad, bad DNFs in there too. Again, half of them went all, but a couple of ones he's blown from penultimate laps before and last lap scenarios that Bezeki's fallen off and it's not been pretty to, uh, to say the least. So, uh, yeah, another unforced error from Martin there is... Um, again open the championship right up yet again 
now it's only a one point difference now between Martin and Bezeki with just three uh, two races to go in this championship now. So yeah, um, not ideal for anybody involved. It was again a fantastic race, but again Martin has left the door wide open for Bezeki to punish him again. Yeah, it, it's anyone's guess who's going to win this championship. It's it's impossible to predict at the moment. It keeps every time you think you know which way this championship's going to go, it changes direction again. Um, it's been it's been crazy, but I have to say I'm becoming. If I wasn't already, I'm becoming a real fan of Marco Bezeki. I've got to say, uh, I'm mm. such a fan of this kid. Um, he, he's put in some some great rides this season under pressure. Um, I mean, I think back to Austria where, of course, Martin was injured and Bezeki had to take full advantage of that, and he did, and he won the race. Um, Aragon were able to come back from whatever it was, 18th on the grid to finish second. You know, again, Martin right up the road, so the only thing that Bezeki could really do was try and finish second. He did it. Um, and and I'll think back to that Japan race and I tweeted it at the point that Martin crashed I was like well come on Bezeki just hold it together and I was thinking mm. to myself the world champions the, the special riders when presented with opportunities like that with his key championship rival out of the race and a 26 point gap to make up the champions the quality special riders win those races and Bezeki won it exactly and yeah, that was that was a champion's ride. He saw the opportunity and he absolutely took it. Um, that's been the story of Bezeki's season. He's, he's he, uh, most of the time he's had to do the chasing in this title fight. Um, Martin again, you know, hit the ground running. He looked like he had the the pace advantage on the whole field, and which again, like we all know, that Martin is is insanely fast when he needs to be when he when he has been on occasions. Um, but Bezeki has found a way to grind out good results. And yeah, this has been like the the best title fight in the field in all three classes this season. Maybe in all of you know, mainstream motorsport between these two. It's gone back and forth for Bezeki once again just kept his head screwed on when it when it mattered and got that you know, a, a bit of a surprise W because it did it looked like Darren Binder was gonna win this race. But then all of a sudden, just lost momentum out of victory corner, and Bez took full advantage and stole that win, literally 200 yards from the flag. Um, it was a brilliant steal from Bez. And again, another five points, which the way this season has been going could be absolutely critical. Yeah, it could make all the difference at the end of this season. It looks like it's going to go all the way down to Valencia now, although again, just when you think you, you know which way it's going, it changes. So who knows? There could be another incident this weekend which tilts it towards... Uh, one or the other. I mean, Fabio Di Gian Antonio is still in it now, Dre. With with Bezeki's non-score, I mean, it was a nightmare day for Cassini with both of their riders crashing out. Um, but with Martin failing to score, Di Gian Antonio is still 29 points back, although hindsight being a wonderful thing. If he'd just ridden around and scored points, he would be within a race with the championship leader now. Um, if that is the end of Fabio Di Gian Antonio's championship hopes, what a painful way for it to end. Oh, that was ugly. That was an awful crash. He Luckily, the worst place of Mateki to crash at. Yeah, without a doubt, the worst by a country mile. That was an awful accident. Had to be taken to hospital. Luckily, he is okay. Although I did see a bit of a concern from the Grassini Twitter account to mention that, uh, um, that uh, yeah, that uh, Fabio remember can't the remember the accident and he can't. Yeah, he can't remember it. Which I would say. Please don't make him race this weekend. Because um, that sounds like a concussion from yeah, where I'm sitting. They'll, they'll have to subject him to some sort of concussion test before he even goes out there. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I say that like I, that I'm saying that in hope. I don't say that as if I know for a fact that they will. Because we know in history what sometimes um, MotoGP have been like with, with sending riders out on track even though they're injured. 
Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Henry Chapman says on the uh, the Discord chat, in before DG steals it after Bezeki and Martin crash into each other three more times. It, it, <laughs> sure, it, the why way this season's gone, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been that kind of year. But yeah, DiGian Antonio had a pretty poor weekend, even up until he crashed. It has to be said, he qualified, I think, down in something like 15th. Was up into around 9th or 10th before he fell off. But yeah, he it was a race where he needed to you know, try and make up lost ground and obviously that's why he crashed but had he known that Martin was going to fail to score points he probably would have been able to just score some points himself and close the gap um, but as it is uh, he remains some 29 points off the championship lead and with only three races now to make that up rather than four that is probably too much uh, for Di Antonio to make up but but who knows but who knows where this season's gone if he can get that gap to below 25 going into Valencia he would then technically go into the final race with a chance to win the whole thing um, so who knows um, it's been a crazy season. The other story, though, outside of the World Championship, out of um, Moto3 Mateki Dre, was a question that I still think we don't quite know the answer to. Where the hell did Darren Binder come from? Um, uh, um, I've got nothing for you on this one. Um, I'll, 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 I'll figure this out. Um, yeah, I have no idea. I have no goddamn idea where Darren came from. To be fair... Last season, when he was early on through last season, when he was riding with the Platinum Bay real estate team, and it was him and Marcos Ramirez as teammates, Binder had a couple of performances where I was like, hang on, Binder's right up here. And then he would crash. Like, he's. He looked like he tried to crash for most of the Grand Prix last weekend, too. Yeah, to be fair, again, he was really aggressive. He was dive bombing the shit out. He looked like he could crash at any moment, Darren Binder, but. He was actually able to keep it in control all the way until the final corner, where again a slow exit out of victory corner, which is ironic in Darren Binder's case, gave up the win to Bezeki over the line in a photo finish, and actually ended up dropping to third in the end because Lorenzo Dana Porter had stolen second on the line as well. Um, so yeah, um, Binder came out and I'd say relatively nowhere. I mean. The IO Moto Three team is not the juggernaut it was a couple. Of years. It's not had the focus a, has very much shifted to their Moto Two operation, hasn't it? Exactly, and you know, you know, Antonelli didn't really work out there last year. Binder's not really worked out this year, which is a shame. But um, you know, a nice surprise to see Binder finally put a, a complete race together and finish on the podium because he, the, the talent's certainly there. Yeah, it's his first ever Ostrom. Uh, we, we forget it's because he's been around a while and he had those races last season, but he never finished higher than fourth on that Platinum Bay bike. That is his uh, first ever Rostrum uh, in moto uh, in Grand Prix motorcycle racing, although he was so close. He was metres away from winning the race. And in the end, he didn't even finish second um, because he was slipstream to the line. The double bubble slipstream enabled, um, enabled the rider to get past him. And second place at the end for him, Dre. He's fifth in the championship now and... With so many riders moving out of this class next season, I'm going to mail my calls to the mass now. I give you the 2019 Moto3 champion, Lorenzo Dallaporta. Did you hear that one, Discord? Yeah. I want I want that audio bookmarked and saved for sometime in November 2019 when Aaron Canet wins the championship. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's going <laughs> to win it this year. <laughs> you heard it here first, kids. You heard it here first. Um, but... Uh, 
No, to be fair, like that's not a bad shout at all. That's a win at two know. seconds in the last four races for him now. Yeah, he's been super fast the last, like ever since the cancelled race in Silverstone, he has been superb. Um, very, very fast indeed. Um, you know, got the first win in in Masano, a couple of podiums recently in Thailand, Japan. This is no longer a fluke with Dalaporta. He is really quick. And hey, given that the only four dudes above him in set championship are all moving up next year, um, by default. You've got to say that Laporta might be title favourite going into he Moto3 next year. might even finish ahead year. of his teammate Bastardini by the end of this season. The form he's on. Um, Bastardini yeah, was only 7th last weekend. He's only 11 points behind uh, his own teammate, who we we thought at the start of the season the champion was going to come from Martin Canet and Bastianini, didn't we? Um, yeah. Which, which, which is a testament to how well Bezecchi's done as well. Um, but, but yeah, exactly. Dalaporta, who we, we, we forget Dalaporta succeeded Bulliger as the junior world champion. Um, mm -hmm. in that Moto3 CEV class. So he he's not exactly come from nowhere, um, but he was a bit of a slow burner as a Grand Prix rider. But but again, if you look at this class next season, Dre, it's again, it's a wide-open Moto3 class, which it, it has been for a few years now. But Martin, Bezecchi, Gian Antonio, Bastianini, uh, and Philip Ertl are all moving out of this class next season, as is Nicolo Bulliga, although he's not really been a title contender anyway. Um, no. But you look at next season, it's... It's a championship where the likely contenders are going to be, what, Dalaporta, Canet, Rodrigo, Ramirez? Maybe Rodrigo, it's... maybe? Jeez. There's no exactly, yeah. no exactly nailed-on favourite there, is there? There isn't, no. Um, Canet has got flashes in him, but he's had a wretched season by his standards. Gabby Rodrigo's got excellent one-lap speed, but again, has not put together very many complete races. And, and one you know, yeah, only one career podium. Not even. You know, it's hard to say a title contender hasn't who hasn't won a three yet. That's kind of a problem. Hell, even Jakob Kornfall seems to have had a bit of a resurgence in the in, in the more experienced time in, in his in his career. Hey, sure as hell likes to be the entertaining one. I mean, flying over other people's side pods and whatnot. So who knows at this point? I mean, like the the rest of the field will shuffle up and replace the seats that have already gone and whatnot. So it's going to be interesting to see how this turns out. I agree. I think Dalaporta, I think Dalaporta, Canet, and probably Gabby Rodrigo are probably going to be your main three um, contenders for next season. Um, anyone else, you be the judge. Yeah, because I'll, I'll I give can't... you quickly the uh, the current rider lineup. Uh, this is due to the uh, very official source that is Wikipedia. Um, the current rider lineup for next year. Uh, the Best of Capital Dubai team are going to be running Jean Messier and Andrea Migno, who's joining their team next season. SkyVR46 are running the team that they ran last weekend, Dennis Foggia and Celestino Vietti, um, who made his debut last weekend and actually scored points. Um, so, um, yeah, SkyVR46 have unearthed another one. Um, he's with them mm. next year. Marinelli Snipers are going back out to two riders. Tony Abelino and Mikhail Yachenko, the Kazakh rider who got the flick from the CIP team earlier this year. Um, Petrona Sprinter, the Malaysian team, of course, are running John McPhee and the Yuma Sasaki next year. Um, Grassini are running Gabriel Rodrigo and Ricardo Rossi. Uh, 658 are keeping Tatsuki Suzuki. We don't know who their second rider is going to be yet. Um, Honda Team Asia are running Keito Toba and Ai Ogura. Uh, Leopard have probably got on paper the strongest team of the lot. Marcos Ramirez and Lorenzo de la Porta um, as their two riders. Uh, Strada Galicia are keeping Alonso Lopez and are bringing in Sergio Garcia. Presumably he's going to bring his green jacket with him. Um, Ankel Nieto <laughs> team are running Albert Arenas and Ralph Fernandez. Um, the Prestel team are running an all-check lineup of Jakob Kornfile and the Red Bull rookies ride from this year, Philip Salak. Um, and CIP are running Tombu Demos. Um, there are a number of riders not confirmed. We believe Aaron Cannett is going to be running for the uh, new team, backed by Max Biaggi. 
um, that have been running in the CEV. Uh, they've been running Mark Garcia this year, the current or the former Supersport 300 champion, uh, and they're going to come into the class next season. Um, Red Bull KTM IO are likely to be running the Red Bull Rookies Champion Chant on two. Um, and there uh, are, of course, a number of other teams to be uh, confirmed. But there aren't exactly many... I mean, hell, there aren't many Grand Prix winners there, Dre. Um, let alone many no, sort of riders that step out as championship favourites. So uh, so who knows how that one is going to pan out next season. Hell, we still don't know how this season's championship's going to finish yet. Um, here's how the Japanese Grand Prix finished with Bezeki, the winner from Dalla Porta and Binder. Just 42 thousandths of a second covered the podium finishes. Uh, it was that close. Dennis Foggia keeping up his uh, struggle into the season in fourth, ahead of McPhee and Tony Arbolino. Enea Bastianini seventh. Shout out for Bastianini. He was seventh, but he was only 0.4 of a second off winning the whole thing. Uh, Gabriel Rodrigo was eighth um, from pole position. Uh, Ayumi Sasaki was ninth. The home uh, home Grand Prix for him, he finished ninth. Jakob Kovbao, tenth. Uh, Jean Messier, eleventh. Marcos Ramirez, twelfth. Andre Mignot, thirteenth. Uh, the aforementioned Celestino Vietti on his debut finished fourteenth. And Tatsuki Suzuki, you had to come from near enough the back of the grid, scored a point in 15th position. Championship standings then, with just three races to go, uh, starting this weekend, of course. Jorge Martin leads by one solitary point from Marco Bezzecchi. Fabio Di Gian Antonio is still only 29 off the lead in third. Enea Bastianini is still mathematically in it, but he's, towards the end of purposes, out of it now in fourth. Lorenzo Dallapol to fifth, Can it sixth. Uh, Gabriel Rodrigo, seventh. Jakob Confile, eighth. Marcos Ramirez is ninth. And Andrea Mio completes the top 10, although he has not finished uh, on the podium since he was second at the moment. of course is this weekend at Phillip Island um, and we'll, we'll look at this weekend very, very briefly uh, before we go but we've got a bit of news to bring you uh, first of all starting with the class that's going to become the fourth Grand Prix class on uh, five weekends of next season Moto E um, which uh, I've said before I'm really looking forward to seeing how this pans out well we're getting uh, you know the pictures becoming an awful lot clearer now as to which riders are going to be in it next season uh, Dre, we now know that Maria Herrera is going to be in it. Uh, she's going to be riding for the Angel Nieto team as teammates to Nico Tirol, the former 125 champion. Um, and it's quite a coup, this, isn't it, for this new class? Maria Herrera, a former Grand Prix rider in Moto3 and a point scorer herself. Um, I think she'll be a real asset to Moto3. Uh, Moto3. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. A marketable name, recognisable, you know, likeable, you know, had, you know, made good publicity for the World Super Sport 300 series. Um, this past season was, you know, right up there with Carrasco and the big bump that having two successful women in the class was was having in there at one point. So there's a lot to like about about, about that movie. And it's a, a great to have her in there. Again, Nico Toro, good name, a guy that, you know, raced at a very strong championship level for years and years as well. So, yeah, having that as, a, as your angle on the air team, the team, and it's a great coup for the series. I completely agree. Absolutely. It's um, it, it's looking like a, a, an entertaining class this next season, Motoe. Um, we've we've already had, um, as I mentioned, Nico Tirol confirmed um, at this team. We, we're expecting Bradley Smith um, to to be one of the two riders at the Grassini team, the uh, 
uh, Grassini squad that's been uh, confirmed, although that's not actually been made official yet. We, we're still, I think, waiting for the uh, the finer details to be made um, official with that team because, of course, he's going to be wild carding on a few occasions with Aprilia next year as well. Um, so we, we wait to see yet how that's going to pan out, but we know Matteo Ferrari is going to be in that team. Uh, Ferrari, who won a Superstock 1000 race earlier this season at Imola as a wild card, so he's got uh, pedigree as well. Um, but Tech 3 are going to be running two bikes, LCR are going to be running two bikes, Pramac are going to be running two bikes. We already know Angel Nieto's two riders are going to be Tyrol and Herrera. Uh, the Avinci team are going to be running two bikes, as are Grassini, uh, with Pons, Intact, 658, IO, Mark BDS, and the Spang National Circuit all running a one bike each um, next year. So that's going to be a fun class, which starts at Jerez next year um for moto e and uh, yeah to answer aj's question in the discord chat they are going to be running uh we believe um before moto three in the morning um of the five grand prix weekends uh next season that moto e are going to be uh supporting um next year starting at Jerez, then they'll be running as well at le mans uh the saxon ring the red bull ring and at mizano in 2019 and now bsb news um and there's a little bit of this as well for next year um, first of all, let's tell you who's not going to be here next year. Household Racing, um, which is a, a bit of a strange one. Um, they've had a tough season, Dre, for a variety of reasons. Um, and it appears as if it's all become a little too much uh, for them. Uh, their team owner, Martin Halsall, has basically decided that the uh, the experience he's gone through this season and the money that he's putting in is no longer worth it. It's a sad state to say. We read the statement. The general vibe seemed to be that, like the the fun had seemingly eroded um, from these from the series, and that it wasn't worth the amount of financial investment that they were making. Um, and as a result, households pulled the plug, um, which is sad. And I said, I want. We said, I wonder how much of this was down to them losing Tommy Bridewell mid-season, only for him to go to Ducati and win the Riders' Cup. I mean, I think Housel would have killed for that um, in terms of success and the publicity that would have brought to them because Bridewell's you know, gone on to have an excellent second half of the calendar year and Housel Racing, who looked like they could have, you know, potentially had Danny Kent on their bike. They did in Brands Hatch and he rode pretty well, all told. Um, so all of that, it looks like, you know, it looks like the fun had gone and it looked like it wasn't worth the investment anymore. So... Housel's pulled the plug, and it's a shame because again they're, they're a good name and a good in a good fit in the series. And you know it, it's always sad when when anyone in motorsport has to pull out because this is an expensive sport, so it sucks. But you know it, it's a shame. It, it, it strikes me, I might be wrong on this, but it, it seems to be a decision that's been made quite uh, impulsively. Quite in, you know, it's not been a, a long running thing. This, I mean. If it is, he certainly hasn't told Danny Kent. Because I'd, I'd have thought, if you're going to test Danny Kent at Brands Hatch and then run him at the final round, surely that's not something a team would do if they're planning to you know, pack up and go home and not come back next year. Because Danny Kent's looking for a ride next year. Um, so it, it is an odd one. But yeah, to give you some of the uh, some of the, the details of this statement from Martin Halsall, um, quote, Racing is expensive. And while I've always loved the sport and been part of the paddock, certain things that have occurred this season have taken a lot of that enjoyment away, and this has all contributed to the decision. It says, there are a number of reasons which have led me to this decision, but it's no secret that this has been a very difficult year. As the businessman, I have to look at all aspects of where my investment is going, and at this point, I feel it is no longer a viable interest. Um, which, again, is a real shame, but again, it just goes to show that motorsport, once again, as if you need reminding, is an expensive sport, even at national championship level in BSB. 
it still mm. requires an awful lot of financial and in- emotional investment to you know to put that kind of operation on on the track for 13 14 weekends a year whatever it is in british superbike championship racing so uh as it goes martin Halsell decides that it's no longer worth that investment um so we won't be seeing the household team next year um once suzuki team we will be seeing next year are the omg team uh, they ran for the first time this year in the ch- in the championship with gino ria we don't quite know yet what gino ria is doing next season although i think we're expecting him to stay at that team but we do know that Luke Mossy's going to be riding for them. Um, he's going to be riding for the OMG team on a Suzuki next year. And Luke Mossy basically saying in his interview on upon this announcement, Dre, that he needs a fresh start. And uh, yeah, I don't think never a truer word has been spoken. Yeah, in every sense of the term. Um, he Ever since he didn't make the showdown last season, I think that Mossy has really struggled. Um, he, he's not the the young juggernaut that we thought he was going to be. I mean, it wasn't that long ago he was giving Leon Haslam a good run for his yeah. money during a lot of the championship fights and during a lot of rounds. Like, for a little while, Bournemouth Kawasaki had the best team in BSB. No doubt about it. Haslam and Mossy was a hell of a partnership. They were both, like, at one point, they were both first and third in championship, you know, in a, in a shaky burn sandwich. And, you know, they were like a really strong outfit. And then Mossy didn't make the showdown started getting injured in races um, on the Kawasaki, having big crashes, and his results have just gone to pot. He's just not the, he's not the rider he was two years ago. And I think a fresh start is right, because the way he's going, he's not going to have very many opportunities if this doesn't work out with OMG Racing. Because, I mean, look at Danny Bucken. Bucken was really good at one point, and then he ended up dropping that and losing his seat. It could happen to Richard Cooper. This year as well, because he hasn't he hasn't got a future confirmed just yet in in in, in any BSB class um, this year. So it doesn't take a lot for you to lose your seat in this sport. So Mossy could become another casualty if this keeps up, which is a real shame. Yeah, it would be a shame. Let's uh, let's hope he doesn't. Um, his spot at the uh, GT Speedbeat Kawasaki team has been filled by Ben Curry, uh, who's been a, a competitive rider. He's been a championship contender really this year in in Bruno Super Sport. Um, bit of a departure really from what they're we're used to at JGT for next season that's a that's an inexperienced team really Glenn Irwin and Ben Curry um at the JG Speedfeet team next season so um a lot of pressure will be put on Glenn Irwin's shoulders to lead that team next year um at JG Speedfeet with Ben Curry a, a superbike debutant uh, in 2019 um but that will be their lineup next season as they look to uh retain their championship next season of course with different riders um well superbike news and of course they're in action this weekend we'll preview that in a second um, Speed Week in Germany have been reporting that the SMR team, Sean Muir Racing, that are currently running as Milwaukee uh, Aprilia in World Superbikes, uh, have made a decision on what they're going to be doing next year. We've been waiting for them to announce which team, uh, sort of, uh, what their team is going to be comprised of, which bike, which riders. It now appears, straight it's going to be a factory-supported BMW with Tom Sykes and Marcus Reiterberger, the current Superstock 1000 champion, as their riders. I mean, a lot to pack in there. Um, first of all, how are we in a position in World Superbikes where Eugene Laverty doesn't have a ride? Um, God only knows. Um, seriously, I do not understand this shit at all. Eugene Laverty is a really, really good bike rider, and he has been snubbed by everyone. I don't understand it. He was he was a name that was linked with every. You know, World Superbike team in the paddock, like from from 
from Kawasaki before they announced Leon Haslam to Ducati before they announced Batista. You know, he was he's been hinted with the GRC gig. He was hinted he wanted to stay with Sean Mir, and that's obviously not going to happen now. And I don't know what's going to happen where, where that's concerned. I, I do not understand where they go from here on this because, like, Laverty's really good. I like I know he's a little bit. A little bit crash happy sometimes, but he's a really talented bike rider, um, an experienced, proven winner in Ralston Box, which is just hard to come by. And I think he's still a class above some guys no, like Michael. I'd still go as far as to say that on on pure outright talent, I know he doesn't always put it together, but on pure talent, he's probably I think the nearest guy to Jonathan Ray in this class. I I, I genuinely think that. I, I think he's. Uh, we've we've seen him already finish as a, a top three guy in this championship. Hell, it's only two years ago, Dre. He was a midfielder in MotoGP. Yeah, and he was finishing in the top five on occasion. Yeah. And he only walked out because he knew he was going to get the shit Ducati if he stayed. Um, that is a guy that knows his worth. So, yeah, um, I I do find it amazing that Laverty has been snubbed yet again on this one. So, uh, yeah, I find the whole thing pretty bizarre looking at the, the team they do have uh, by the looks of it for next year um, it's first of all it's good to see BMW paying an active uh, interest in World Superbikes again um, which they haven't for a while mm-hmm. it's, 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 by all accounts it's going to be a new BMW S1000RR with a level of factory support similar to what BMW were putting in when they actually had their own factory team um, from 2009 to 2013 when they were winning races with Marco Melandri and Chaz Davies um, back then um, and it makes sense in, in some respects to have a German rider as well in Marcus Reiterberger um, for a German manufacturer especially when you consider that he's been riding a BM in Superstock 1000 and has won the championship on it um, and Tom Sykes who will no doubt feel he has a point to prove um, and obviously has a new challenge ahead of him Tom Sykes I mean with all due respect and we feel sorry for Eugene Larity but Tom Sykes and Marcus Reiterberger ain't exactly a bad team is it no, to be fair, it is a really good team. Um, like, Rogers Reiterberger's European Superstock 1000 champion, the final in, of, of its kind, um, and was a guy that I've mentioned before, had pulled together really good results in when he was with Altea when they ran BMWs in Worlds two years ago. So he's got proven experience, and he's had all his career success on a BMW. So that's a strong backbone piece to have there. And Tom Sykes is the Super Pole King, He's very fast, and he's still a top five rider in the class. Hmm. Even if he's been exposed a little bit by Jonathan over the last couple of years, he's still a very strong bike rider indeed. And there's no reason why why he can't be up there for years to come. So that's a really strong team on paper. So I, I mean, I can't complain with the with the picks that SMR has made. That's a that's a good ass team. Um, there's there's no doubt about that. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how where that BMW fits in, and I hope BMW gives them the factory backing that they need and deserve because they have the world's top-selling superbike. The BMW yeah. S1000 RR is the number one superbike on the planet in terms of sales. So I don't see why BMW wouldn't thrive on that opportunity to to, to show it off in a race series where they're going to have more eyes on it. So I hope this is the turning point that gets BMW behind their series. Mm, absolutely. Um, of course, Superbikes are racing again this weekend. We'll, we'll touch on that in a second. 
Um, but it's it's one of those great weekends. It's the last one, of course, we'll have this season, Dre, where we have two of the sort of big three that we cover on the same weekend um, with, with MotoGP in action as well. Um, there's a bit of a call to arms, this, to all of you listening and to all you motorsport fans, particularly motorcycle racing fans. Um, I know it's tough to have to set your alarm for 5 a.m. in the morning on a Sunday yeah. morning. But if there is one weekend, Dre, where your sleep pattern has every excuse to be completely messed apart, it's this weekend. Because if there's one Grand Prix that I think is absolutely required viewing in MotoGP these days, it is the Australian Grand Prix at Phillip Island. I completely agree with this notion. This is the best motorcycle race track on the planet. You nothing. Must watch this race. It's... Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Speaking earlier today says he reckons there are as many as ten potential winners of this Grand Prix on Sunday. And I completely agree with him. The way this, the way this season's been, like this is the juggernaut. Like the last four or five years have produced nothing but incredible MotoGP races drama titled you know titles title based scenarios championship fights you name it it's had it in the last half decade as, as cam mentions 2015 is an arguable con- contender for best race ever yeah, um it's 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 certainly in the conversation this track i mean last year there was a fight there was a fight where a moto gp race broke out towards the end <laughs> um basically um so it is, it is the best track on the calendar. Nothing produces more consistent bangers like Phillip Island. If you are going to watch one MotoGP race this season, make it this one. I guarantee you, I guarantee you'll enjoy it or you'll pay money, basically. Yeah. So yeah, we, We're go, looking go. forward to this one. I mean, it's, yeah, it's going to be a great weekend. MotoGP, we hope the weather stays dry because I think one thing that perhaps could ruin a race at Phillip Island is if it rains and you know, Phillip Island has its first mm. year of rain. Um, but yeah, it's it's the best bike circuit on the planet, in my view. And it's I said this, uh, I tweeted uh, this to Neil Morrison yesterday because he tweeted some sort of atmospheric shots of Philip yesterday. And I said that circuit is at the top of my motorsport bucket list of places I want to go. Um, mm. Philip Island is the very top of it. Um, to watch a motorcycle race around there, it is a brilliant, brilliant motorcycle circuit, as good as there is on the planet. So I look forward to that this weekend. Of course, as we mentioned earlier on, a world championship can be decided. Francesco Bagnaia could win the Moto2 World Championship this weekend if he outscores Miguel Oliveira um, by, uh, I believe it's 15 points he needs to outscore him by this weekend to win the title. Um, In uh, Qatar this weekend, it is the final weekend of the World Superbike Championship for 2018. Jonathan Ray, of course, can extend his record to 12 straight wins, Um, although he wasn't quickest in free practice, which was taking place as we record this. Uh, Eugene Laverty was the guy who, of course, isn't on the grid next year. Um, of course. He was quickest on the Aprilia. Because uh, World Superbikes are racing on Friday and Saturday this weekend, um, rather than Saturday and Sunday, because the Qatar final race weekend is a day earlier. Um, but there is one championship that will be decided this weekend. And for us, Rayleigh Dre, it's certainly Qatar. This is the main event this weekend. It's Cortese versus Clozel for the World Supersport Championship. And we're going to need King to uh, roll out his rendition of La Marseille again because we're all in for Jules Clazell. Let's go, Jules Clazell. Yes, please. Build that damn wall one more time, Jules. You don't even have to win it. All you've got to do is follow Cortese home. No, no, he needs to to win and he needs to put a bike between himself and Cortese, doesn't he? Oh, shit, it's the other way around, isn't it? It's the other way around. Okay. We need we need the wall. We need it to be fifteen feet high. Okay. I need Cortese to run into it. 
yes, please, like, safely, of course. But still, please, Gazelle, please, for the love of God, win the Supersport title, please. I can't bear it if he was Don't a runner-up. Don't runner-up again. Please, no. Like, the racing gods have been cruel enough to Gazelle over the years. Give him the Supersport title, for God's sake. Yeah, it's going to be a brilliant, brilliant finale in Supersport. As I mentioned, Superbikes is no doubt going to be good too. Um, at least the battle for second will be anyway. Um, but but World Super Sport is for me where it where it's at in Qatar this weekend. Uh, Sandro Cortese goes in with I believe it's a six point lead over Jules Clazel, um, which means that if Cortese finishes first or second this weekend, he is the Super Sport champion. In what we must not forget is is rookie season in the class, um, which would be an incredible achievement in its own right. Um, Jules Clazel had he would have the tiebreaker in terms of most wins. Um, so mm-hmm. if if Clozel wins the race and Cortese fails to finish second, Clozel is the champion. If Clozel finishes second and Cortese is lower than third, again, Clozel is the champion. Um, if Clozel finishes in third, he needs uh, Cortese to be sixth or worse. Um, if he's fourth, he needs him to be ninth or worse. And then for every place beyond that, he needs him to be six places behind him. The likeliest scenario is Clozel wins the race and Cortese is out of the top two. Um, for the title to go to France. Whatever happens this weekend, we'll review it all um, next week, where we'll have a double header. It'll all be all light and all probability in one podcast, unless there is an absolute abundance of stuff from both paddocks to talk about. Uh, we'll confirm mm. that to you between now and then. Um, but World Superbikes and Supersport in Qatar, MotoGP and 2 and 3 at the Mecca, that is Phillip Island, all to come this weekend. So we look forward to bringing you a review of all of that on episode 85 next week. Um, places you can find us though facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 or at motorsport underscore 101 on twitter uh, we are youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 and our website where all of that information can be found is motorsport 101.com next week as I mentioned we will have motorsport 101 and bike live if you'd like to get those podcasts earlier than everyone else uh, you need to back us on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 uh, where if you back us at the $5 level you get the podcast on early access back us at a $10 level you can listen to them uh, live as they are recorded, and we thank everyone that has done so on this Thursday afternoon as we record Bike Live. Um, and as I mentioned, if you back us at that level, you can listen in live to episode 167 of Motorsport 101 next week as well. Um, and without tempting fate, Dre, this is going to be the uh, five-star edition as we hail the new five-time champion of Lewis Hamilton. Surely, surely he's going to win it this time. Yeah, I mean, for those guys that are still slow on the maths, Sebastian Vettel has to win to even have this conversation. If not, Hamilton automatically is champion. If Vettel does win, a top seven would be enough for Lewis to cement his fifth and fifth, fifth world championship at Mexico. I mean, I would I keep an eye out for Max Verstappen. He did win here last year as well. I mean, Red Bull tends to go very well around here. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Who knows? You might have a decent race. But, uh, yeah, Lewis Hamilton and and the strive for five, back-to-back weekends with five-time world champions by the looks of it. Um, episode 167 of Motorsport 101. Hopefully, we'll have a good one next week. Mm. We... Uh... We look forward to that. Uh, that brings us to the end, though, of, of this week's edition of Bike Live as we salute the new MotoGP world champion on episode 84. We'll be back for episode 85 uh, next week as well, as well as episode 167 of Motorsport 101. But that was episode 84 of Bike Live. Uh, as Mark Marquez reached level 7 for the rest of his rivals, it's very much game over. We will see you again next week.
right then. Um, through the power of editing, listeners, uh, you're actually joining us now 10 minutes after we actually finished recording uh, this week's edition <laughs> of Bike Live. Um, we recorded uh, Super Sport. Well, in fact, I'm just going to leave it in. Uh, and this is going to be in the post-credits. Uh, we previewed yeah, sure. this weekend's World Super Sport Championship Decider, where Jules Cluzel went into it six points behind Sandro Cortese, uh, with essentially the championship scenario being that he must win this race this weekend with Cortese outside the top two to win the championship. Ten freaking minutes after we finished recording, news broke of Lucas Mayas being reinstated at the Portuguese round back in September. Now, this was the crazy race uh, where yes. Mahias had the puncture on the final lap, had to ride a battered bike back to the pits within five minutes of the red flag to keep the win. He was then thrown out and excluded. Literally, as the first free practice session of the final round in Qatar this weekend gets underway, Mayas is reinstated. Now, it doesn't really affect Lucas Mayas because he's still out of the championship. He's 28 points off the championship lead. But what this means, Dre is that Cortese drops from 5th to 6th in Portimao and now has a 5-point lead over Cluzel. It's winner takes all! Yep, it is exactly that. So now, all of a sudden, as, like that one point makes all the difference. Cluzel now, is, he's now in a situation where it's now win or go home. It's yeah. as simple as that. It is a winner takes all showdown for the championship because if Cortese wins... <laughs> He wins the title anyway. If Clazell wins it, he's now champion because he has more wins on countback. So as a result, it now means Clazell has a shot to win the championship, but Cortese doesn't have. Cortese now can't follow Clazell home. So this is a huge championship implication. All it takes is one point here, and it's now thrown this championship completely wide open. Um, Cortese now cannot follow Clazell home. He now has to realistically win the race. And who knows what could happen because Qatar will bring people like Lucas Myers back into it, who's going to be racing for pride more than anything else. So who knows what's going to happen on this one now, but it is now a winner take all showdown in Qatar for the Supersport Championship. Come on, Clazelle! Allez, Jules! Uh, I'll just quickly give you the, um, the statement that the FIM have released literally minutes ago. Following the Portuguese round of the Supersport World Championship, Lucas Mayas appealed to the Court of Arbitration for Sport against a decision taken by the FIM stewards upholding his non-classification by the race direction in the Supersport race at Portimao. The riders' legal counsel requested an expedited procedure before the CAS, which the FIM accepted in the interest of a rapid resolution of the matter. A hearing was held in Lugano on Monday, the 22nd of October, before the Court of Arbitration for Sport's sole arbitrator, Mr. Michele Bernasconi, at which the FIM was represented by its deputy CEO and legal director, Mr. Richard Perrett. The CAS handed down the operative part of its award yesterday, in which it partially upheld the riders' appeal against the decision taken by the stewards, restoring his classification in the Portuguese round of the Supersport World Championship and amending the results accordingly. The CAS partially reformed the decision of the stewards by imposing a fine on Mahias. Both parties will share legal costs. The FIM acknowledges the decision and is satisfied that the issue has been resolved without any disruption to the championship round taking place in Doha this weekend. What? Well... <laughs> It kind of has been disrupted, guys, because it changes the championship on the, it completely changes the face of it. I mean, I don't think uh, Sandro Cortese will uh, be particularly pleased with this. I mean, he'll not be satisfied by this. But, I mean, we're recording this on a bit of a whim, so it's a bit difficult to have a bit of a considered view. But very quickly, Dre, how do we hmm. feel about the court of arbitration for sport being involved in this? <laughs> that's, because that's they famously kind of got involved in the 2015 championship battle, didn't they? 
in MotoGP. Yeah, yeah. Rossi appealed it all the way to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which is the basically the highest court in the sporting land. Basically, for those guys that don't know, the Court of Arbitration for Sport is basically the highest the highest court in the land for any and all sporting disputes. And so, like GRC had clearly taken this as far as they could possibly go, and they basically overturned the decision. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, like, like, the rule books weren't designed for something no. like this to happen. So I'm, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer on this one. Um, obviously, Mahais is going to appeal it because, you know, he had a win taken off him. And mm. win's an important thing, even if it doesn't affect his championship, which is, I mean, he's already out of championship running. But for the sake of pride, no one wants to have a win taken away from them. So I completely understand why, why they've taken it that far. It's a big deal. Um Again, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer on this one, and I, I sincerely hope that you know both parties are satisfied on that one. I mean, it, it's a bit of a bummer for Cortese that he's had a very critical point yanked off him through no fault of his own. Yeah, it's um, it's funny because this this whole um, legal sort of dispute between Lucas Myas and the FIM actually is nothing to do with Cortese and Clozel. It's just that the result changing has a direct effect on those two. This is Lucas Mayas basically taking the FIM to the Court of Arbitration for Sport because he wants his win back. Um, yeah. and, that, and that's what it is. But the knock-on effect of it means that Cortese, who had finished fifth in that race, don't forget, this is the race where he crashed and knocked Cluzel off. Um, yes. Cortese then remounted and finished fifth. That now becomes sixth. And just to confirm, this now means Sandro Cortese goes into the final race this weekend, the championship decider, five points ahead of Jules Cluzel. And Cluzel has won more races this season. And whatever happens this weekend, if Cluzel wins the race, he wins the World Supersport Championship. As if this final race weekend could not get any more dramatic. We'll see you next week, folks. Take care.